Cunningham for another extraordinary message on Gill Athletics Connections. Well, welcome to the show. Uh. It's the goes to appreciate the coach, the ones who point people most. Every season needs a voice of reason, speaking the growth. You gotta prep for you carry the load. It's coffee to the soul for those of us who stay on the go. Proper handoff to stay in the zone. What you packing for the road? There's more than one way to the go. Take notes, that's paying your toll. It ain't practice if your purpose ain't clear. It can't happen till you listen with both ears. You can't mentor without a mentor's years of experience. You can reinvent those years. Every plan's got a stand to deliver up to. Enterprise sacrifice, can you give up you? It's a choice and a fight. Not a win or lose It's not a ploy but advice so y'all can make more moves It's not about how to, it's all about why You don't know till you know who you are inside Six million ways to tie Choose none so we all cross the finish line The work ain't done So we learn from the experts We all gotta put in the legwork Gill Athletics is a network It's all about connections Put together for the profession To every track coach could be the blessing All right, we're here back on the Gill Athletics Connections podcast. Uh, I am your host, so humbled here, Mike Cunningham, your uh, humble host here of the national, not the national, that's my title. That was dumb. I'm the host of the Gill Athletics Track and Field Connections podcast. I guess my title is National Business Development Manager. Overall, though, I'm just so happy that I'm here, you're here, and today's guest is here. We're going to have a lot of fun. It is, if you're listening during the week that this is being, uh, not the week this is being recorded, that this was published. It's NCAA championship time. So I'm actually, I'm in Pueblo right now, the magic of podcast world. I'm in Pueblo uh, getting set up for NCAA division twos. We've got a crew out in Rochester for division threes. We've got crews out in West and East, what North Florida and Sacramento state for uh, first round NCAA division ones. We are all over the place and we're kicking off this championship. What a better way to kick off this championship week than one of the perennial championship teams uh in the division two era uh from ashland university so help me welcome from ashland university the eagles screaming eagle the eagles the eagles uh the assistant coach mr logan sharp logan how are you man i'm doing well how are you i, I almost said screaming eagles but who is that that's somebody else someone's a screaming eagle yeah yeah <laughs> I, I always I always wondered like someone was like oh okay we want to be the eagles but you know there's a lot of eagles so let's make ourselves the screaming eagles which you know <laughs> i guess actually okay see we just run into tangents here have you actually heard what an eagle sounds like yeah i did yeah not exactly. not not the exactly. movie not the movie eagles not no. the not like what you see in the movie like what a real eagle sounds like yeah no i've i've been an avid outdoorsman Oh, so yeah. Okay, yeah. So. We'll, we'll probably get into that. If you haven't, if you're listening and you only know of an eagle from like what you see in a movie, well, that's actually a hawk. Go YouTube an eagle. It will surprise you. Like screaming eagle actually is a pretty good description. Right. It's an odd sound for people who grew up like me, grew up watching you know TV shows and movies, and like I have this idea of what an eagle sounds like. It ain't what an eagle sounds like. <laughs> And that's why you come to the Gill Connections podcast to find out what eagles actually sound like. <laughs> Logan, man, thanks for being here today, man. This is a, a real a treat. You know, um, when we started the podcast up, you know, we had a very um, uh, specific angle of what and when, who and how to record for guests uh, here. And, you know, through that time, we, we get a lot of people that reach out and say, hey, I'd love to be a guest and, and things like that. And I'm always like, I'll put you on the list. I'll put you on the list. Uh, but I only get 52 a year. So that, you know, 
So if you think about it, if I have a list of 52, if I tell you you're on the list and you're number 52, it's a year from now that I'll get to you. Logan, you, you and I connected, I mean, years ago. And I was like, Logan, you're on the list. And I'm sure you either thought, oh, okay, well, Michael, call soon. Or after I didn't call soon, you're like, oh, Mike, whatever. Yeah, sure. The list. Nah, I, I just knew I was a young coach. I was nobody at the time. No, no. I'll you know wait. I'll, I'll wait my years. <laughs> this is, it is early. It is nine o'clock my time when we're recording this. And now this is twice I have to have this conversation today. <laughs> I had this conversation on Twitter this morning, and now I'm going to have to have it with you. You were not and still are not <laughs> any kind of lowly assistant coach or lowly new coach, et cetera. I had a coach today message me and say, oh, I'm just a low, in fact, he used the word lowly, lowly pole vault slash distance coach. And I was like, never, never, ever, ever. You are not just, you are not lowly. What you do as a coach, whether you're on the high school, college level, whether you're on the uh, NAI, JUCO, Power 5, it doesn't matter. What you do as a track coach is M measurable the the positivity that you give young people it, it's it's uh, it, there, there is no amount of value that we can give uh, and we certainly undervalue <laughs> what we do as coaches for pay and even our own selves exactly what you said there i knew it was a lowly new <laughs> bull crap day one of a, of a of a track coach day 1000 of a track coach you are awesome, my friend. Um, you, you really are. You deserve to be on the podcast back then. You deserve to be on the podcast now. You will deserve to be on the podcast. You deserve way more than this lowly old podcast. Trust me, man. So that's that's my rant. I I will always, when someone tells me I'm just a track coach or I'm just a throws coach or I'm a low, like bull crap, you are, uh, for me and my other teammates here, Gil, you're at the highest of the mountain, buddy. No one is better than a track coach. All right? Can we Will you promise me you will stop? You will never say that kind promise. of thing again? All right. All right. Let's see, I've, I've made success in the podcast already, just in the first five minutes here. All right, Logan, let's get into it, man. Uh, let's find out uh, you and your journey and kind of just explore, um, you know, how you got to where you are today. I, I'm imagining that there's some pretty uh, interesting turns. We already know there's some outdoorsman uh, uh, side to you here. So let's jump in our Wayback Machine and uh, talk to us about where does coaching for track and field maybe, and maybe it's other sports that builds into it, but where does coaching begin for you? Uh, so I actually started coaching. Um, back at Southern Connecticut State, I was fifth year student athlete, getting um, getting done with my fifth year, going into my sixth year grad school, my second year grad school, basically, and still wanted to train um, post collegiately. Had run fifty one three in the hurdles, and I was like, Coach, I want to keep going. And he was like, Hey, he's like, he's like, let's move. It was funny because during during my time at Southern as an athlete, I had ran. 800 a little bit for him ran on the four by eights and he was like he's like let's move you up in events so did a year training with him at more as 800 runner hated my life not gonna did not like mileage he was trying <laughs> to push on getting getting my mileage up and it's not a fan of losing weight mm. i couldn't keep weight on to begin with so it was one of those things I'm like nah coach this this isn't for me but during that time he had said hey i need some extra hands on deck um coach wallen has always had couple coaches around, but then keeps a lot of alumni around him and basically keeps the team going with the same, the same pride and the Southern Owls that he's, he's had since he started there. And it was one of those things where he was like, here's a stopwatch. You worked with the hurdlers, you work with the 400 runners. Let's keep that going. Um, so that's, that's where I started training and coaching athletes. Um, I did that for two years and then decided to move on. 
what was the plan? So this was, you know, at the tail end of your athletic career and your college career. Uh, what was the plan up to that point? What were you majoring in? What did you think you were going to become? So, so when I started college, I had gone in thinking I was going to be an athletic trainer. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I switched that my freshman year from athletic training to stay in the exercise science field and just go more human performance route. Um, so I, I wasn't sure if I was going to go human performance and be a strength conditioning coach or go into physical therapy, a lot of Southern's, uh, human performance program, especially undergrad. And then going into grad school is more based around cardiac rehab. Hmm. So one of the, one of the professors really pushed me to go into the hospital and work with basically heart, um, heart attack patients or stroke patients and stuff like that. But I had realized quickly as an athletic training major, I, once I had gotten banged up my freshman year, I was like, I do not want to work with, um, unhealthy or sick people my entire life. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, let me go home performance. Let me help prevent people from being that way. Oh um, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And so I was like, no, nah, I did not want to work with that. Started going back into that route when I started thinking physical therapy and it had a little internship that I was doing locally near Southern. And what stopped me from doing that was I had to take a cast off a woman's foot. That was six months late. You go to cut that cast off and the skin peeled off with it and the smell of it. I, we had to shut the room down, the therapy room for the entire day, have a special cleaning service come in. It it was probably the worst smelling thing I've ever witnessed. And at that point, I was like, nope, not dealing with physical therapy. I listen. I'm a big, obviously, maybe not obviously, podcast listener. And one of my favorite podcasts is Stuff You Should Know. And the other day, their episode was on smellovision. And I'm so thankful that has never not more than right now. Am I more thankful that that has never become a thing? Because <laughs> as you literally, you, you just described it there for like 20 seconds. And I was like, oh yeah, that, like, I, I can't, I can't imagine like, oh yeah, yeah. That would change uh, some careers, yeah. <laughs> some, some thoughts on careers there. That's for sure. How are you? You know, it's interesting. The four, you know, you're a Fortnite hurdler. And by the way, 50, 5130. Yep. You, you know, little known fact, I actually in high school ran 5130. That's actually my PR as well. Okay. Now that was in the 110 hurdles though. So I'm not sure how that <laughs> compares, but it was, that actually may be my close to my actual PR in the, in the 110 hurdles. It's terrible. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it's interesting and we don't talk X's and O's, but uh, as a philosophy of coaching and we're going to step back to your high school coaching as well, you know, that 400, 400 hurdle to 800 and, and not fifteen hundred, because fifteen hundred, I think, is universally once indoors in college. Yeah, kind of like universally, like that's a distance event. Yeah. It's a fast distance event, but it's a distance. But that eight hundred is that bridge of like some people are like, nope, you got to be a four hundred person to run the eight hundred fast, or nope, you got to be a fifteen hundred meter <laughs> mile person to run the eight hundred meter fast. So it's just interesting there. What 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 was your experience like coming out of high school coaching wise? And then inside of college coaching wise. In terms of me being trained or. Yeah. You know, more of like how you were trained and not how like, oh, I was trained as a sprinter or a distance person, but like, you know, did you, you know, there's a lot of different styles of coaching uh, from nurturing to uh, military-esque, you know, right. my way or the highway uh, collaboratively. How, what kind of, you know, what kind of, as you are coming out of your, you know, your last couple of years and you're going into coaching, you're built based on how you were coached. So I'm, right. I want to figure out like, how were you coached? What, what kind of um, ex, um, 
what, what did you see a coach was? And so therefore you probably mimicked either towards it or completely opposite of it. If it was, you know, a style that you didn't like. So high school, I had a, I had a young coach. Um, he was directly out of college and he did not know anything about the hurdles, did not know mm-hmm. anything about the 400. He, he was actually more of an 800 guy that he was dating the older sister of one of our top girls that ended up going to Hartford for uh, the multi. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was big into knowing the jumps, knowing short sprints, knowing and, and trying to figure out the hurdles for the multi. Um, and we, I was in Square Harry, New York, upstate New York. We didn't have a all-weather track and at the time. Um, we had one of the old cinder tracks to train on. I think we had maybe three or four hurdles. And we had the traditional schedule where you have some of the multi or some of the invitations to go to on Saturdays, but we really compete a lot Tuesdays and Thursdays at the dual mm-hmm. meets at the hand timed. Yeah. Um, so it was one of those things where Tuesdays and Thursdays were workout days. Uh, Monday, Wednesday was kind of like, oh, go for a 20 minute run. Just go for mm-hmm. easy run or let's try to fix something of what you're doing over a hurdle. But him not really understanding hurdles is, hey, like, just get comfortable jumping them, mm-hmm. get comfortable running in between and going at them fast. So um high school I managed to run 54 seconds in the 400 hurdles and I I joke I did it running on the roads um did not my senior year junior year chose not to do any inner winter sports so it's kind of like oh do I, how do I get better well people talk about how I, how I look like a distance runner so let me let me put some weight <laughs> on let me let me put a, a some mass on with a weight room didn't have a strength conditioning coach was kind of going in do what I felt like put a hurdle in the gym got in trouble because I'm scraping up the gym floor um <laughs> smashing hurdles breaking hurdles having the metal scratching up the all your thing so that that was always fun getting yelled at for that stuff but um he was a coach that made me fall in love with the sport yeah how so because you're saying you're about it yeah i mean and it was it was me uh my junior year there was a there's actually a freshman or sophomore for a hurdler girl that when i i would look back a couple years ago she ran 63 seconds as a freshman or sophomore, yeah. what year she was. So she was pretty quick and probably could have gone places. I think she just got overwhelmed with a sport in high school and just kind of quit and went on to do other stuff. Um, there was myself, there was her, and then there was the multi that ended up going to University of Hartford. And it was like us three with a coach that every Saturday was like, okay, this is your big meet, go compete. And mm-hmm. it was one of those things where we we had fun doing it. He, It was just the lifestyle that we had created was, Oh, this is a fun thing to do. Um, cause my other sport was soccer, which I had started early on in my life. That was my family sport. So it was going to college. It was deciding, do am I going to go play soccer? Or am I going to go run track? And so, so, so that's what I mean about like style. So this feels like you, you correct me where appropriate. This wasn't necessarily this high school coach of yours. Wasn't necessarily a technical coach. Maybe it wasn't the jumps, but as far as your events, yeah. uh, but was was very nurturing and competitive driven for you guys of like okay hey it's saturday go compete go yeah go win and and that is what helped you, you your words there i fell in love with the sport because of that yep yeah that see that's interesting because when we talk about different styles of coaches and again not the x's and o's portion but the you know the style that you're going to be are you going to be the type of coach that knows every in and out every angle where the body's supposed to be and shin angles and blah, blah, all the and those, and those things are important right. uh, or are you going to be a um uh the stereotypical rah rah 
cheerleading type of coach. That's also important. Yeah. You know, having trust built with your athletes is, is important and, and positivity is important. Uh, I think the truly uh, elite coaches, and you can define elite in different ways, do both in a very competent manner. But this seemed like someone who was like, all right, maybe I don't know everything about the hurdles and um, b- because of a lot of other you know factors, maybe I, I'm not going to get into you know, every little thing about the hurdles. Uh, I know sprints and jumps, so I'm going to stay over there, but I got to coach these kids. Uh, so, okay, if I can't technically teach them, well, then I'm going to, I'm going to make them believe in themselves and I'm gonna make them, um, get hyped up for the, for the actual race itself. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) It's always visitors on the podcast. Everybody's trying to get on. (laughs) Coach comes, got to answer. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's very true. Yeah. Coach, (laughs) how are you doing? (laughs) We need to pause. We need to do something. I get it. I get it. Um, yeah, so, uh, so that, but that's interesting. That's where I'm trying to get at is like, okay, cause so that's how your base, uh, going into colleges, you're, you're, you got like, okay, I, yeah. I maybe don't recognize, I recognize that my coach maybe doesn't know air quotes there, everything, but boy, I'd probably run through a brick wall for them if they right. told me that was the right thing to do. Now go into your college coaching. How did that? So you kind of have like, this is what a track coach yeah. does. Did it follow suit in college or did you get a different style? No, it, it, I, I it's it's debatable. Um, so it was it was interesting getting recruited out of high school. I was told by Southern Connecticut former coaches um, the the way to get a scholarship was to run fifty four flat in the four hundred hurdles, and I was like, okay, set my goals. Mm-hmm. Nobody else really knew about that. Like fifty four flat is my goal. Like I'm going to prove this because it was one of those things where. I was looking at a couple of different schools and what a bunch of D3 schools reached out to me like, Hey, mm-hmm. especially in New York, come here, come here. I'm like, I don't want to run division three, nothing against that. Mm-hmm. I just needed some aid to help pay for going to other than my academics. Let me have some aid to help pay for what I'm about to do. Um, I was looking at military academies, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And just got told, Hey, that the military is most important. It's not going to be running track. I'm like, well, mm-hmm that turned me away from that it was so it, i had it actually narrowed it down to a couple different schools and it was either southern connecticut or um yukon hmm. and what turned me away from yukon was coach roy love him to death he's an awesome guy um he had sent me an email that said uh let me know how your indoor season goes and i was like okay i was like coach roy I hate to tell you um unfortunately my school isn't sponsored indoor track we're not a big enough school got the email back best luck to your future oh. and i was like okay now I'm going to go to Southern Connecticut, another school in Connecticut. It's going to compete a lot against UConn. It, I had a little bit of a vendetta against UConn. Yeah, it sounds like never it, sure. Yeah. I'm not UConn guy. If they're in my heat, I'm not losing to them. Yeah. And it was it was a thing where that was that was the case. I right. refused to lose to them. But Will Wright was the uh, Springsteen Hurdles coach at Southern Connecticut. And mm-hmm. um, he had got my contact from going to a Springfield College um, fair for athletic trainers. Huh. He, he wrote me a handwritten letter saying, Hey, I'd really like to have you here, but here's the goal. You got to run 54 flat to get any score scholarship money. Mm-hmm. There's another hurdler that we have who's running 52 seconds. He's like, so he's going to be here next year. Turns out they used his eligibility at the conference championship. So he was going to get his fifth year because they need him for a four by four. So he went, ran the 404 meets and helped them make the national meet. Coach Wright retired. Mm. The day after he retired, I ran 54 flat. Oh wow! Me not knowing, I call him up. Hey, I'm at the I'm at the New York State. Um, it was like our class championship to go to the state championship, and I call him up like, Hey, I just ran a 54 flat. 
Oh, well, I'll, I'll let the next coach know. He's like, great. I'm uh, heading to yeah. the beach. <laughs> he'll, he'll try to yell with you. He's like, unfortunately, Coach Maloney and I just decided we we're retiring from Southern Connecticut yesterday. What did you be? I mean, because, you know, I love the, yeah. I was really fearful that you were going to give me the story of they told you run 54 flat and you did it. And then they didn't give you what they said. That's always a fear of mine. That's the, that's not the case here. No, that's not the case. But, but you're, you know, you know, the words of coach said, this is why you're not, a lowly coach and all this kind of things. Cause <laughs> the words you say to young people mean something. Yep. So this coach said you run 54 flat and that it feels like that, that 54 burned in your head. Like, okay, I've got a goal. I am. I had it on a dartboard in my bedroom. Yeah. I will do every, if I don't <laughs> hit 54, it ain't going to because I didn't yep. do everything for it. Right. Because that coach said that, if that coach said 53, 53 would have been your number, 55, whatever, you know, that burned in your head. And so you've been driving, driving, driving towards that. You hit it. You you call the coach from the meeting. I love that. Yeah. And they say, yeah, hey, congratulations. I'll let the next staff know. And remember, you're an 18-year-old kid. Remember, we, we 18-year-old kids know nothing. I know in at 18, I know I thought I knew everything, but you know nothing. So here's this person you're kind of, I'm going to use the word idolizing. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm saying, you know, like you're like, oh man, you said 50, 54, then 54 is the number. And they say, hey, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to be here. I'll let the next coaching staff know. So how did that feel? I wasn't sure. Like, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm still like, we had already deposited at the school and stuff like that. It was, I mean, it's, it's May at this point. So mm. almost June. And I was like, we already deposited. It's okay. Like, I'm going to go there. And my parents like, well, if you don't get scholarship money, we'll figure it out. Like we had already decided wow. we're going there. Yeah. So make it work, you know? Yeah. Um. So I end up there. And then I think within the first couple of days, um, they had decided the school had hired coach Wallen to be the assistant coach for the year. And he was told by the new head coach that, Hey, he's like, he's like, I got this hurdler coming in. He was told he's running like I had already talked to the head coach, the new one. And he was like, I was told that he's, um, he ran 54 and he was promised money. He's like, I want you to meet with him and see what we decide. So I had to walk across the street to more field house. Right. And I didn't, I didn't know anything about how I walked and stuff like that. And he, it was a funny he, he could see out the window to watch me walk across. So I, I'm texting him back and forth, like, yeah, I'm on my way. So I go over there and he described it at like a year or two later, he described it as like, yeah, this kid weighing probably 140 pounds comes bouncing across the track or across the road. He's like, he didn't, he didn't look like he had any sort of like no spring in him. He was like, it was, it was all springs ready to go. Mm-hmm. And so he knew I had that, had the springs. He's like, we just had to put some more power behind him. So me it was like yeah we can give you give you whatever money we had left and was it was it necessarily enough when now as a coach I'm like well dang I wish I had gotten more you know but sure. just like every kid but I was just so happy that oh shoot this this is still true I can still get this money that I was promised from what I did you know That's um, awesome. so it was a quick connection took all year that year to run 54 again mm-hmm. until the conference championship to win it as a freshman but um luckily UMass Lowell had a bunch of kids redshirted so mm-hmm. that was able to happen but um <laughs> It was one of those things where I went into Southern Connecticut with what, which like you said, it's another perennial powerhouse division two um, and not, not understanding track, Hmm. not ever running against fast people. Hmm. And now all of a sudden I'm thrown into running with kids that had run just as fast as me, if not faster, some a little bit slower. And everybody's telling me like, yeah, you're, you're going to be the next best guy. I'm like, there's no way, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a lost freshman, but I was fortunate enough to kind of be 
able to be like that fourth or fifth best guy and to be able to throw on relays every single weekend. Hmm. And one of my favorite best friends, training partner, I remember hearing him in the background being like, coach, get Logan off the relay. He's, he's not running well. And coach Wallen's like, no, trust me. He's going to come through. Like this is going to work. And Selassie, the, my training partner team is like, no, he, he's terrible right now. Get rid of him. But we, we can't, we can't run the 404 with him. Well, ended up all American lead off leg freshman year outdoors. And we're like, okay. Wow. And so then that trickled together throughout my whole career of like, okay, I'm a four by four guy running the four leg of the DMRs. Mm-hmm. We're top three in the nation. But what was burning me was, well, the next the next goal is to make the national meet in the 400 hurdles, which didn't happen until my junior year. Um, and it was one of those things where in the East Coast, you're running 52 seconds at that time and you're one of the top guys. Mm-hmm. And it's back to what I was facing in high school where it's like, what, who do I have to race? Who can I go beat? And then that's why I'd gotten into of like, okay, I can go win a race, but am I prepared for the next level? And it turned into get to nationals and yeah, I'd, I'd run well. I'd be a little bit tired, but I'd compete and I'd, I'd get in top 10. I'd, I'd place top eight and become an all American. So it was back and forth the last two years with that sort of mindset. That's cool. Hey, I'm curious. This is a little fast forward here because mm-hmm. we, we haven't even started the actual coaching journey here yet. Right. But you, you said it is just kind of popped in my head when you said, you know, you ran 54 uh, out of high school and then that freshman year and you scratch yourself as a lost freshman, which I think if we all think back to our freshman year, we were all lost in some form or fashion, some longer than others uh, and some shorter. But boy, freshman mm-hmm. year college is a whole different well, I don't care how big of a high school you went to and what responsibilities you had. College is different. Yeah. But you said it took until, uh, I think you said either, I think you said conference when you ran 54 again. Yeah. Do you see that often where it takes someone, regardless of talent, like whether they were a superstar or, you know, beginner, that it takes later into their freshman year for them to start hitting their PRs? Is that common? I believe so. Yeah. Um, I why, think that, why is that? I have a theory, but, but I want to hear what you, you think. I think there's different training philosophies going on. There's different mm-hmm. styles, different volumes of training, um, different intensities, um, more specificity going on. And one of the biggest things I, I always look at is they're no longer as a coach. I realize that now you're no longer with mom and dad at night. Um, there's other outside factors that that the coach as a whole is trying to figure out okay are they sleeping the same way are they eating the same way um what's their extracurricular activities looking like you know what i mean and yeah there's so much that plays into it it's trying to help them get back to and they may never get back to the same way that they were in high school in terms of their lifestyle Mm. but now we just make them better as athletes so that's that's good that's that's not my my uh was not my my guess that's that's important though. I think you're right. You know, when you think about, it's much easier to stay up till one o'clock, two o'clock at night. Past that in college, it's easier to uh, access to alcohol. is easier. Not everybody's doing that. I understand, but you know that that's a part of it. Uh, stress of exams and uh, the same, uh, if not more. Just generally, being away from home. Yeah, yeah, and good point about stress of like you know. Um, Mom, mom, dad's not home when I go, you know, when I go back to my dorm, they're they're just not there. You know, I don't get to talk to them every day or see them every day or get hugged every day. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Because, you know, on the outside, 
you would think it's like, okay, you have a kid who, you know, most track kids, most, not all, are still only doing track, uh, call it maybe a, a February or March through May or June, depending on the, the state meet. Uh, maybe they're playing another sport. Maybe they're not. Some are not. So some are not doing any sport until March and then they're doing track and then they get recruited and you think, oh, but man, now you're going to start practice at, you know, call it Labor Day. You're going to have all this fall to compete. You're going to go through uh, indoor season. You're going to compete. You're going to compete at a higher, like you're going to have, you're going to have to be better because you're going to compete against more better kids. Why aren't you PRing from the jump? Right. And, and I, and, and, you know, and, and it can be discouraging as well. Here's my, my thought. Here's my guess. You tell me is the co I haven't coached in forever. So you're the, you're the expert here on this one. I think there is a difference in motivation. I, I can agree with that as well. Yeah. When you're coaching or when you're competing in high school, mom and dad, generally speaking, are at every meet friends and families, friends and friends, uh, families are there. It, you know, that's why when you go to a high school meet, there's a lot of people in the stands in the college, there's not, uh, you know, we don't, our families don't get to travel as much right. and we don't have as many fans as other sports, unfortunately at this point. Uh, so there's a different motivation to it. And I think that takes a while to find out like, oh, I used to run track because I liked when mom and dad clapped for me or my my teammate was happy for me. And now, because like you 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 just described an, uh, a, uh, an example of where the teammate was not rooting for you. Get Logan off the four by four. Right. <laughs> like, and, and that would almost never happen in high school. Right like, now, oh, we best friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and in high school, it's probably like, oh man, Logan, we love having you on the team. And I wish we could do an eight by four because I want Joey and Tommy on the team too, right? right. So I think there there is a change that has to occur for athletes, again, generally speaking, where they are competing for others, like, oh, I, you know, mom is happy, friends are happy, I'm, I'm happy to be part of a team, to like, oh, there's no one else here, it's me. I know I'm on this team, and yes, there's four before, and there's team, there's conference teams, and things like that, but I have to be a better 100-meter runner or 800-meter runner. Like, I, I, there's no one else here. It's me. I got to do the things, which then starts playing into, I got to sleep, I got to eat, right, things like that. That's how I've always thought it's just different, um, and even different when you go to the next level, like for the elites and stuff, I think that's why you see amazing things happen at like world champs and um, uh, Olympics, because as an elite runner, you have no team. There, there are no teams at, at this point. You know, you can say you run for team Adidas or team Nike, but y'all ain't a team. Sorry. It's just who you, you you're employed. By. <laughs> but when we get to, to world champs team uh, in, in uh, Olympics, we have team USA. We're all wearing that USA flag. Now I'm running for someone like it, it becomes a camaraderie effect. So right. Anyway, I just thought about that when you said that. I was like, man, I was like, that's hard. I mean, I, I completely agree because like even looking back at what we're the transition we're in right now, like we had conference last week and then we're getting a last chance meet this week, but more than half the team is now home because finals were done. And so I already put the message out to the team like, hey, now is where you got to find that intrinsic motivation. Like yeah. what's really driving you? If you're if you're in the last chance meet trying to hit another faster mark, how are you going to do that without your teammates with you? Yeah. Like, there's less people now. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Southern Connecticut State, you, yep. your, your last few years, uh, you kind of coaches giving you a stopwatch. The coaches are big on having alumni stay around. So are you at this point now like, oh, I'm going to be a track coach or are you still maybe exploring different? No, but time, absolutely. I was like, it's it's definitely I'm, I want to go into track coaching. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that he pushed for me was to start paying. We had a uh, 
Joe Van Gilder was there at the time uh, as an assistant coach, and he was coaching more of the short sprints, short hurdles. And Coach Wallen came out and he's like, "Hey, he's like, I I understand. He's like, you had you understand my ways right now with the 400, 400 hurdles. He's like, but I need you to kind of be monitoring and shadowing other coaches to help you understand more than just one event or wow. two events because I need you to be able to if you move on." And when you move on to be able to be valuable enough to know other events, he's like, I'm not sure if you want to go on the jumps. I'm not sure if you want to go and watch just more multi stuff. He's like, but he's like, you need no other events. So I, me being sprinter mindset and against at the time against uh, jumpers, sprinter mentality or sprinters versus distance. I'm right. like, I'm going to watch just the sprints hmm. at the time. So, it, and we had some pretty good hurdlers and stuff and short sprinters going on at, at Southern. It was kind of like the re, the building of that, what's been some of the success there recently. Um, so I was kind of able to just hang out at practice, help help Joe with all the uh, moving wickets around and understanding, mm-hmm. hey, why? And that's where I started learning, why are we doing this stuff? Um, so at that point, it was like a year, year and a half of working with him. And that's where it's like, okay, this this is gonna be my niche. This is I'm gonna be sprints, hurdles, and definitely go that route with coaching. So, so a lot of you know, coaching education to me is what I call formal and informal. Formal mm-hmm. being the you know certificate route, the USATFs, USTFCA, yep. Altus, uh, Altus, things like that. Um, informal, I consider like peer to peer and things like that. So you're doing a lot of informal coaching education. Like you're now, instead of just like being barked at Logan, go run this, go do this. It's like, oh, okay, now I'm administering workouts. And it sounded like your mind flipped of like, oh, well, I'm now let me understand why we're yeah. doing this as well. And I think that it was perfect timing just because I was still a student. Mm-hmm. Um, I was finishing my grad school and I had dove in a lot with the exercise science and knowing the science of how the body is, what's going on in the body given certain workouts, given certain changes of the blood. It was like, wait a second, why are we doing this with the short sprints, but this with the long sprints and understanding mm-hmm. intensities, volume differences is like, why does this athlete need this versus this athlete, even though they're in the same event? Hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. So That's it, interesting. it was a good, it was, I don't think I actually went to grad school for, to go just to grad school. I think it was more so that time building of, me being able to say, Hey, the, the grad school is important. It's going to definitely help me with my career, different coaching, different types of athletes with knowing the science behind mm-hmm. it. But I was also knowing more of the whys through the actual coaching side and learning more of the art and of the coaching of it. So, yeah, there's the, the book side, like learning the things. And then there's the lab and getting in there and getting your hands dirty right. and figuring out. Yeah. So yep. what did you do after that time? What was the first step to getting into actual coaching, like, like paid coaching? So I was at Yale University at the springtime meet, rainy day, just standing there. I think we were watching jumps. And uh, Shanae Williams, who's the director at New Haven, she came up to me and was like, hey, want to come to the dark side? <laughs> and I was like, what, is, what does that mean? And, and she's like, so do you want to come across the road and help me coach? And Kevin LaSure had left <laughs> there a couple of years before that. They had okay. gone some coaching issues. Um, so they were looking for a new sprints coach. And I was like, and I was like, what's the position? She's like, head men's coach. I'm like, no way. There's no way I'm ready for that. I'm like, I'm I'm 25. Wow. I'm, like, I'm 25 years old. She's like, no. She's like, I got you. Don't worry. Um, so she's like, just fill out the application. She's like, and we'll we'll get things moving. I was like, okay. So me, I'm like, yeah, like I want to make money. I don't want to just sit here being a, 
not even a named GA right. volunteer <laughs> volunteer right and working all this physical therapy stuff all day then trying to come back and train and I was, right. like, I was like I can go make money and it was interesting because that year I had actually um run well enough to go to get not necessarily the a standard for usas but i would i knew i was high enough on the list that i could go out to usas mm-hmm. and for the 400 hurdles and i was like i started booking everything up and getting ready to go to that meet and debbie chen at the university of new haven her and robin salters they called me up one day and they're like hey like we'd like to schedule you for an interview for this date and that date was the same date i was about to fly out of course yeah and i was like Dec- decision time i was like am I ready to go run really fast or am I ready to go make some money? And I honestly have no idea what I would have chosen. What did you do? So I went to try to make money. Yeah. Wow. That year I was living off a credit card and <laughs> living life the dumb way of just like yeah. everything. Cause I was just wasn't making enough money to, to live. I had enough to pay rent. What would you have done? I'm always, cause I mean, that's, I think that's interesting these forks in the road where we have decisions to make. And it's one thing when an athlete wants to pursue making the world champs or, you know, Olympics, of course, it's it's hard to say no. I think what I was realizing is 51 wasn't going to cut it. Oh, okay. That's what I was going to ask you. Because 51 is slow. Because when a, when when a, when a kid, I say a kid, when a young person says, Hey, I want to pursue the Olympics Mm -hmm. and, and they have a shot and it's like, man, even if they don't make it, I don't want them to be a 35, 40 year old and regret it. Right. I remember having a conversation with a good friend of mine, Dexter Falk. Dexter was one of the top hurdlers in the country here, uh, which made him still like, you know, seventh in the country. Like he was 13, 11, I think was his yeah. PR or something like that. And, uh, and I can't remember the years, but basically he had not made the Olympic team from the trials. And he was like, yeah, I'm trying to decide, am I still going to do this? And I was like, you know, you're not making a one-year decision. I was like, in track, you're you're making a four-year decision. Can you go to the next Olympic trials and try to make that team and things like that? And he ended up going on for the next four years. Again, did not make the Olympic team, but, you know, again, 13, 11, I mean, who's, he's one of the greatest hurdlers we've ever had, you know, 13, 11, 13, 14. Um, uh, We we had a young man here who worked for us, uh, a javelin thrower, Tim Tim Glover. Mm -hmm. And he was like, man, he goes, I think, I think I need to stop working here and pursue the Olympics. And he's an 85 plus meter thrower. So it's like, oh, he's got an actual shot here. And it's like, man, love him. He's so valuable to us. But I don't want him as a 40 year going, man, why did I do this? Why did I go to profession? I can always go back in profession to make money, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he did quit and he goes, and he made the world champs team, which I'm, I mean, like, oh God, like, you know, he didn't make the Olympics, but oh my gosh, he made the the number two, right? I mean, you are super legit. The number of people that made world champs team is still this many, right? So what I was wondering, and you you kind of touched on Logan, you're 51 seconds. So you knew, okay, I'm not making the team at 51. Um, assumably I'm not making finals as right. a as a 51. Uh, so I like your decision. Like to me, that was a very smart, and it's a tough decision for a 25 year old because still to compete in the US yeah. championships is again that that group is still very small <laughs> that right. competes in it. So I can see it, I'm gonna say easier, but still a hard decision. Yeah. I wondered if you were a 50 flat. So that's on the cusp. You, you still ain't making the team at 50 flat. We had a lot of pretty good thinking her. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I think, and I could be wrong here. I don't pay attention to it. This minutia 50 or 49.9 might make finals. Is that fair? Depending on the year. Depend, yeah. Yeah. Depend, yeah. Okay. So I yeah. wonder like if you were on that cusp of like, okay, like 50, that's another, so that's a different realm. It's like, okay, I know I'm not going to be top three. Well, I can make finals. What, what, what do you think? 
your decision would have been then? You know what? I don't know. I yeah. there was a lot going through my head at the time. And yeah. Like, <laughs> I was tired of training. Mm-hmm. Um, tired of training. I was like, all right, it's, it's time to move on. It's, but I obviously I knew I was still going to be in the sport. It was just right. not doing it for just me. I was like, all right, maybe, maybe it is time just to yeah. get back. Um, so it, it turned into, of course, my first big job interview, right? And I'm nervous as all could be. <laughs> and I, I remember going through the, it was, I show up and Debbie Chin, who was the AD at the time, she's now retired. She works within the NCAA still. So she might, she might pop out and hear me. Talk yeah. About her. Um, she was selling her car. She was selling her BMW. So I show up and she's outside. It's, uh, she must have had a post on Craigslist or something. She, but she's outside cleaning the windshield of her. And I'm like, I recognize her. She like she's supposed to be my interview. She's not. What is she doing? You know. And so I sit down in her office. Everybody else is sitting there and they're all waiting for her and they're trying to call her. She's like, Oh no, I'm almost done. She comes in. She's like, Yep, just sold my BMW. I'm like, We're like 15 <laughs> minutes late on this interview. Like it's who? What's this time on? You know. And so I, we get through the whole thing. I'm sweating through the whole thing, but they're asking me about training and I'm like, all right, my education is going to get me through this. Like before I learned in undergrad, grad school, how I trained, trained as an athlete, learning, honestly learning from coach Wall and coach Van Gilder. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm set on this. Like I can answer any of these questions. They asked me about recruiting, like good luck, never done it. Like mm-hmm. I'll figure it out though. And we're getting through those types of conversations and I've never had to deal with it, but I'll figure it out. And that, that was kind of like my motto going through a whole interview was like, I, you can, you guys know I'm young. You guys know I haven't had any experience with any of this sort of stuff other than training, mm-hmm. but we can figure it out. And that, that was when I got done with that part, I'm walking around with Nick Noheimer, who was the distance coach there. And he's like, oh yeah, he's like, show me all around campus. I'm like, okay. I was like, I don't think this went well because they just realized I don't have the experience, you know? And day later I get the phone call. Hey, yeah, we, uh, if you want the job, it's yours. And what, I was, did, what did you think when you get that call? I was the happiest I could possibly be because I'm like, here I am with my first job. But then at the same time, I'm like, oh shoot, I'm a little nervous because I'm now the head men's track and field coach. To give you an idea, there were guys on the team that year that were older than me by like right. years. Yeah, we had, we had a military guy come in. That's like, hey, I never used my eligibility. I want to, I want to run. Right. So he's 33, 34 years old. I'm 25. I'm like, right. I can. Yeah. Um. What What was the the women's coach that approached you about coming to the dark side? Shania Williams. Shania. Shania. Shania Williams. So you know, a real superpower of coaches. And again, while you're never just a coach or just a lowly coach, right. I'll stop picking on you here in a little bit on that statement, but a real superpower of a coach is being able to see something in someone else, typically a young person as a, as a coach down to an athlete that they can't yet see in themselves. Right. Janae, this sounds like a, a, an issue, a, um, a, 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 an example of where she saw something in you that you couldn't yet see in yourself. Right. What was, what was your relationship with Sinead? Like, did she, she had watched you compete through as an athlete. Like she, she didn't just randomly go yeah, up to some guy named yeah, Logan and say, Hey, do you want to be the head men's coach? Like she had to have had some like, Oh yeah, this guy can do it. So she, she started coaching at a young age as well at university of New Haven. And so she had watched me all through my college career running and it was like, okay he's now in a coaching he's at a good school and I, i'm not sure if she's like let's take him from the rival school i don't know um but she knew that i was hungry eager to start moving on and so it with 
when that all transitioned, like it was awesome. It was my first experience. Um, we're going hard. Obviously, me being my first year doing it, um, or first couple of years coaching by myself, right? Um, not having to really, I was being able to head a program um, where she was the head of the women's. It was one of those things where her and I definitely had our battles. Um, we, we definitely went through some personal stuff of dealing with how to work with each other. Um, and looking back at some situations, I was like, man, I was like, I wish, I wish you could go, we could go back and change way. But like, like everything that happened within my career, like it happened for a reason. There was a reason why we had to deal with certain things. So it worked out, I think for both of us. Um, how did you have battles? And what I mean by that is you're and maybe this is perspective of you know logan today versus logan yeah. that day because you're like oh yeah you know i i knew nothing you know i first time i was my first professional coaching job and i'm the head coach it would seem like again these all from the outside looking in so we're just kind of trying to dive it to the inside here that it would have been like oh shanae okay what do you want me to do like not not as as her assistant coach because you're the head coach but it's like oh man you're well, gonna I be think my mentor the here. i was a young young man um working with a female, mm-hmm. uh, a female mm-hmm. coach and it was one of those things like no i'm going to be in charge i'm going to do this my way mm-hmm. i think this is the best way you know oops so yeah yeah <laughs> so now, now again perspective looking back you know hindsight's 2020 but now you have experience things like that yeah. how did that shape you like wh- when you talk about battles like maybe you had to take your your licks appropriately mm-hmm. like you had to you yep. you were wrong in a lot in some situations uh how has that how did that experience uh, evolve you, not change you? Because you got to be something for it. You're not even a coach at this yeah. point. You know? well, How did so it evolve you? With working with her, working with uh, Debbie Chin and Robin Salters as being the AD, one of the biggest things about them being the AD is they they came right out and said, hey, listen, we're, we're going to make you learn how to do everything. So no matter what other job you ever have to go to, it's going to be easier. Mm. So I knew with working with the administration there like this is going to be one of my toughest administrations of work that i actually have to do so i was like okay brand new to it this is a lot of work now now i'm sitting here in ashland and it's like hey i want more work don't don't tell our admin that but (laughs) i want more to do i I want to be able to Mm -hmm. but it was one of those things where i knew and i now know how to do it all Mm. in terms of looking at different ways to work with the compliance and obviously it's always ever changing so i'm going to continue learning Mm. but it was one of those things where it was like wait a second there there's people that have gone through their whole career not doing this stuff whereas i'm like Mm. yeah this is easy that i i know the facts behind this because i was forced to literally read through the books and for uh signing nlis and stuff of how to how to go to different people within the departments to get that stuff done or looking at the different rules of eligibility. Like it wasn't like compliance just sat there and said, Oh yeah, this is yes or no answers. It was no, figure it out. You're, you're going to have to figure this out because the rest of your career, if you're going to be in coaching, you're going to want to know this because you may not have the same um, opportunities with needing to know it, you know? You know, in a typical journey in a coach, it's their 10th or 15th or 20th year they become their first time head coach. And my favorite question to always ask when we get to that point is, were you ready? This is your first job out the gate. So I'm not even going to ask that because I I will assume and probably know you are not ready. When you look back at it now, how how many years were you there at New Haven? Stay there for two. Two. So in those two years, now looking about a quarter. 
and looking back at it, what was one of the hardest things for you to learn? Like when you, you talked about compliance and recruiting and, uh, you know, paperwork, things like that. When you look, so you did scheduling, budgeting, you did things yeah. that you never, like you didn't even think that a coach did that probably because, you know, you, you, you've you never coach, done it. Coach Wallen made it so easy on his yeah, side. Yeah, right. Know that was going on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now now looking back, what was, you know, is, is people that are listening right now, uh, there, there's going to be future head coaches. There's people who want to be a head coach and, don't know all the things that are entailed into it. When you look back now, like, man, you know what was the hardest part? Figuring out this was challenging for me. What what would that be? You know what it was? was the interpersonal relationships. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. Tell me more. It was just knowing how to talk, communicate, and not only just with the athletes, but with the coaching staff and working through whatever whatever issues were going to arise we at that time we dealt with um um disciplinary issues with athletes and one person one coach wanted to go this route with it one wanted to go this route administration had their view on it and it was like we to be honest with you we dealt with a rape case and and an accusation of rape and it was like okay who who's going to take the role i'm like like I'm mandated right to report. That's all I got to do. That's, that's what you learn, right? Just report it and hands are clean. But then it turned into no, um, you have to decide what you want to do with your team. By the way, if this comes back this way, then you could, this could happen to you. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, I'm too young to be dealing with this. I did not want to have to deal with that at that time. And too much going on in life to have to worry about that, but also understanding, Hey, there's, this could turn into lawsuits. Mm-hmm. This could turn into more accusations coming down the road if you don't do it the right way. And so I wanted to lean on administration and administration did not want that on their responsibility. So it became a kind of a like touchy subject of like, how do, how do we get through this? Um, not through it. I'm here today. I'm still coaching. So <laughs> spoiler <laughs> alert, it worked yeah. out. Yeah. Sweat that one out. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting that that's where you went to first. And I love that that's where you went to. We had the um, athletic director of Iowa State University on the podcast. And I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, you hire a lot of track coaches. You know, what do you what do you look for when hiring a track coach? And, you know, he talked about, he goes, well, you know, he goes, honestly, the X's and O's, he goes, that's table stakes. He goes, I expect you, especially at this level at Big 12, et cetera. You know, I'm not even talking to you if you don't, if I haven't seen that you've, you know, made athletes better. He goes, but really, he goes, this is a athletics and, you know, specifically as we talk about coaching track and field is a people person's profession. He's mm-hmm. like, you're not just, he goes, you have to absolutely work with 18 to 22 or 17 to 22 year old. Cause you got to recruit, right? He's like, so absolutely. You need to know how to work with young people. He's right. like, but you also are going to be working with our compliance team and our admissions office and yep. our marketing team. And, uh, you know, our different associate ADs and deputies. He's like, if you don't, if you can't work within a team with other people, it doesn't matter how good you are at Exodus. So it's interesting. That's where you went. I love that. Favorite quote from the New Haven administration was that your livelihood was in the minds and actions. Livelihood. You're a kid. Oh, say that again. I want to hear that again. Your your uh your livelihood was in the minds and actions of a 17 to 18 year old kid. And they'll do anything they want to do. <laughs> and that is why I got out of coaching. <laughs> I always tell people, I was like, man, when your life, I, I you'd say the word livelihood, when your livelihood is based on the decisions of 17 and 18 year old kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's tough. You know, now my livelihood is based on you guys making decisions. <laughs> it's, it's a little better. It's a little better. 
Uh, I, I love that. Well, um, so, okay, so I'm going to ask the inverse now. There had to be, I'm assuming, some part of the job that you had never done before that for you, like butter, you just like, oh, okay, I figured this out pretty quick. What was maybe the more easier part or maybe more natural part to learn of becoming uh, a head coach of all the different duties that you have to do as a head coach? Um, I would say the two would be, first one would be periodization of training. But okay. mm -hmm. I had studied that for basically six years. Um, so it was immediately like, okay, I got a right training. No big deal. Like, and oh, they had to perform at conference and nationals. How do you get somebody to be at their best? Um, and it obviously it gets trickier as you get into the faster times and stuff like that. But when you're working with people that were a bunch of walk-ons, it's like, okay, how, how do you get them to perform? Mm -hmm. um, or how do you get a walk-on to be able to maybe hit a provisional mark? It's like, okay, that's some pretty general training. Um, so that, I would say that that was one. Um, the other one was honestly recruiting. Um, mm -hmm. And it, early on, I was like, okay, at New Haven, it was one of those things where scholarship budget wasn't all that high. So you had to really convince people that, they wanted to be there, not only just for academics, but they wanted to be able to run. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're in a competitive, it was a competitive a conference at the time, um, the region. So it was one of those things of, I hate losing. So how am I going to find enough people? And the team was small when I first got there. And their big thing was, hey, you got you to bring the numbers up to 30 people. Mm -hmm. And so the convince, my whole thing was like, all right, I got to convince 30 people to love, love the sport as much as I do. And when you can talk about it all day long, and you can call them up at any time of day and say, hey, this this is why you should come here. This is why I love it here. This is why you want to do this. This is why you want to work with me because I'm this is what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. It became very easy to build a roster. Um, but what I quickly realized with that building a roster was that without the aid to be in that conference, so that for at that time, the way it was set up, it was like we're recruiting a bunch of students. Mm -hmm. a bunch of students that were really invested in their academics which obviously they're going to college they need to be but how many how much of that was going to be talent how much of that was going to be have the ability to really progress to be where I wanted to be where I, all through other than my freshman indoor season I was at the national championship every single year indoor and outdoor so to me nationals is part of part of the trip, part right. of what you do in college, you, you make the national meet, right? So now I'm at a school where my first year coaching as a head coach, indoor and outdoor, we don't make the national meet. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm sitting there watching all my friends that also went on into coaching or are watching my coaches, watching my old, old teammates. They're still at nationals and I'm just sitting at home twiddling my thumbs, trying to go to Memorial Day stuff. Right. And I was like, okay, th this is not fun. So it became a drive for mine of, my going in my second year how am I getting so many nationals and luckily I had a girl that had been to national meet on a four by four who who felt that same way and she had the drive the blood to do it so it was one of those things where coach I want to be there too so she ended up making the indoor four did not all American had to deal with her going in ranked last at nationals and coming in right around there and saying hey remember you're not a foreigner running your foreigner hurdler hmm. And so she made outdoors. She ended up all American outdoors. And it was like, okay, we made it indoor and outdoor. Now she graduated. What do we do? Right. And I'm looking at the team like, it's going to be rough. It's going to be another rough year. Their recruits coming in just are not ready for it yet. They're going to need to be juniors and seniors before they can think about it. I'm like, this, this is not where I want to be. Um, so that's when I 
to be honest, it was like, all right, New Haven, it was good learning. I don't want to be a head coach right now. I want to, I want to be able to be in a good program and, and grow. So I had been talking with coaches and uh, Leo Mayo at American International. I was like, hey, my assistant's leaving. I need a new assistant. You want to be my assistant? It was a sprints coach position. So do you want to be my sprints coach? And I'm like, you know, AIC, another school in the conference. Mm. A, lot of, a lot of schools that they, they're one of the younger teams in the conference. They came in with a pretty, pretty good budget for recruiting. And so a lot of teams in the conference were like, oh, the American International, all the international kids in the conference. And I was like, you know what? I was like, this, this could be interesting. I didn't know what I was going to pay when started going to the interview. And I had actually asked Coach Wallen for a recommendation. Hmm. At the time, I was like, Coach, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to go there. I, I'm just looking around. I could try to get a pay raise at uh, New Haven, but just don't know what I'm doing. And a week goes by, and Leo called me up. We went through the interview wasn't going to be paid as much. So I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm a young single guy. Let me, let me look at what the cut and pace and look like. Do I have, is it going to be enough to live? I'm like, sure. Okay. Be enough to live. But now all of a sudden I can take the stress of having to worry about dealing with the athletes and dealing with a program 24 seven. Right. And now I can just kind of coach my kids as long as they just stay out of trouble, just do whatever my boss asked me and I'm safe. I'm good. I'm just coach fast kids. And that was the big click was up. It's like, now I'm going to go to American International. They recruit internationally. I can bring in as long as he gives me the go about to do it. If I can find somebody fast internationally, mm. bring them in and we're going to, we're going to go to nationals. Like that was the plan. And with a week turnaround, everything had changed. I was like, yep, going to AIC. This is like November. Huh. So this is cross country. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm at, I'm up at um, Franklin Pierce for one cross country meet with New Haven. Two weeks later, we go to the conference championship and I'm showing up with completely different colors on. So it, it, it didn't rub well with a lot of people in the conference. Um, it's particularly my old head coach that coached me for six years. He, yeah. we never really talked it out, but we, it was a mutual. And like, I understood like, yeah, it was probably a jerk move to not let him know, Hey, yeah, I'm going to the rival, the closer rival in terms of competition yeah. because the AIC had just done the triple crown for the first time in the conference. And now all of a sudden a guy that you coached is going to help go help coach their sprinters Yeah. and knowing, okay, now all his knowledge that he had taught me in the sprints is now going to go move to a whole other school. You know, it's, it's so team. funny to hear you explain that. And that's very common. It's not unique. Where well, that, and so when I first did, it, I was like, why is he mad at me? Like, and it, it was more so interpersonal communication. I just was okay. I'm to myself. Let me just make my switch and yeah, do it. And it wasn't like people could just deal with it easily. It was, wait a second. We never talked this out. Like he was my second dad for six years. Yeah. My it, parents were three hours away. Yeah. It's just, it's just interesting. The tribalism that we have in sports for that, mm -hmm. because like, as you're, you're, you're describing that. And again, that's not uncommon. I've heard that story before where people are like, Oh, then I went to the conference and I didn't sit well with people and blah, blah, right. blah, all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, when a kid goes from Burger King to McDonald's, no one blinks an eye. No one says, Oh, you went to the competition. Uh, yeah. When you go from IBM to Google, no one says, Oh, you know, they'll say maybe you got poached or whatever, but no one's like, Oh, I can't believe, you know, that, uh, I don't care that it was better for you and your family it, or desires. Yeah. My whole looks was like tribalism. similar, but like, look at the NFL. Right. I was like, this happens all the time. All the time. But what, and I, looking back on it, I was like, oh, what I didn't do 
we sit down and call up coach wall and be hey coach like this but is did, the best did, opportunity. what i'm getting to is did you need to i think I, if we had had i don't know but <laughs> i don't know because on one hand i i i'm with you on when you talk about interpersonal relationships you know relationships with people mm-hmm. on the other hand i go back to what our most popular episode boo Shexnader. And mm-hmm. boo, and I tell you, you know, Logan, if you haven't listened to it, and if you're listening right now and you haven't listened to it, it's it is there's a reason why it's our most popular episode. I will highly encourage you to go listen to it. Uh, if you've listened to it, go listen to it again. And what we we had a really frank discussion about the coat the profession of coaching. Get away from what's on your chest and knowledge of X's and O's. You're, you're, you are perfect. You are making money for yourself, your family, your passions, your charities, et cetera. Just like someone who works for IBM, Gill, Wendy's, whatever, right? You, m- money is important. Right. I, I will never not say that. <laughs> and what he talked about was, you know, you've got to do better for yourself when you have the opportunity, especially as a younger coach for, for your, to retire one day and things like that. So if your move to AIC where, and I know you said it was less money in that sense, but it was better for you. It sounded like it was better for you for mental health, for you, what you thought professionally for yourself at that point, et cetera. What I valued and what I wanted to coach stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of the tribalism of like, oh, they went to another school in the conference, or I can't believe they did. And, And I'm not throwing Coach Wong under the busts here either i mean this is again this is very very common uh especially in in track and especially in sports instead of being like oh i'm so happy for you are you happy logan great then i'm happy for you the the tribalism like oh you went to you know like the audacity of the you went inside conference thing it's the same with athletics by the way with athletes Mm -hmm. like i i'm a uh i don't like the you know you can transfer any you want anywhere you want except for in our conference i was like what's that but that, that's makes, pretty much the GMAC now. Yeah, it's like it makes no <laughs> sense to me. Like, what do you mean? It's, if I want to go from LSU to Florida, God bless you. Right. I don't care if it's in the same conference. I don't care if, if I'm going to see you twice a year minimally uh, at the conference meet. Who? Can, it's your education. It's your life. Knock yourself out here. I mean, what are we talking about here? So it's just interesting as you're as you're describing that. Sorry, as you're describing that, it's just like why it's this tribalism. I think the difference is because it's sports. Because when it's the other examples I gave, IBM, Facebook, etc. While we do have pride of having Facebook, you know, as our employer, uh, it ain't like having Ashland over there or. Florida State, you know, it's like, oh, there's people that support me because I'm a a, a Seminole and only because of that, you know, right. there's that tribalism with it. So it's just interesting, the dynamic in sport as a profession coaching here uh, and how that, you know, that relates to being happy for someone or I can't believe they didn't talk to me. And it's like, <laughs> I, I don't know, it's just odd to me. Yeah. And it's easier for it to be odd to me, because I'm outside the circle. Now I coached for 10 years, went to five different institutions. So trust me, I'm the guy who hopped around too uh, with, with different places. I never went. Yeah, I never went inside conference, though. Um, but I don't know that that would have been weird to me. I don't know that I, I can't think back. And it was a long time ago now, where I was where I was, I don't think I, there was ever a situation where I was like, ooh, I can't even like, consider that job, because that's inside the conference. <laughs> it's just, just odd to me now. Okay. So you go to AIC. Now this is where you actually reached out to me is when you were at AIC. Right. Tell us about this. I don't know much about AIC either. Tell us about the school and uh, maybe some cultural difference and how did it go switching to to that school for you professionally? So it's a, it's a small school, um, primarily athletes. Um, 
I think what we were we were talking, there's only like 700 or 800 people on campus. Wow. So, yeah, it's a tiny school. Majority of them, like I said, are athletes. Um, and when I got there, it it was no, well known that track and field was one of the newer sports, but also one of the powerhouse sports in the school. So it was kind and, of fun. Where, where is it located? Springfield, Massachusetts. Oh, are you in Springfield? I've, I've been yeah. there once. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. I, like the basketball hall of fame is at the bottom of the hill, the casino now, and then go up to the top of the hill and there's the school. Uh, okay. Right so right the city. I've got to admit the reason I was in Springfield because I was at that casino. <laughs> <laughs> so I was right by campus. Okay. okay. Right. Yeah. You're, cool. you're probably about a three minute drive. Oh, yep. dang it. Shoot. Okay. Um, All right. But it was one of those things where the, the biggest drive that I had there was to go there was one, I didn't have to be a head coach. Mm. at the time I was mm -hmm. like you know what I can just sit and coach and my biggest is I wanted to learn at that mm -hmm. time like I didn't want to have to focus all my time and energy into doing the budgeting and mm -hmm. travel and like more so hey head coach says this is what I need done this week or this one I need done today or this one I need done within the next five minutes all right I'm free to do it let's do it but it was more so I could spend time researching training researching different techniques looking at different drills and hmm. actually spend time learning how to be a better coach overall mm -hmm. for the athletes um, and, the, and the scientific side again. And that also got me into more of, hey, like AIC's like, let's, let me get, help you go to the conventions. Let me give you some uh, higher ed with doing some of the professional development stuff. So I had mm -hmm. a lot of good, um, USATF ones were done with AIC. So it was one of those things where it was, I was able to learn more. And then my whole biggest part was I was now able to say, I didn't just have to recruit in the US. Mm -hmm. We were, hey, let's bring in two or three international kids each year. That way, distance team was always to be funded. Coach Mayo loves cross country, loved his indoor and outdoor track. He knew to have a good team all three seasons, he had to have his distance runners. So he would make sure he had at least seven to nine nine athletes that were, weren't paying a dime for school that were funded through athletic aid, FAFSA aid, if they were domestic and then their academic aid. And, and he did a heck of a job with it. It was cross country team. He found the international kids in Kenya, France, England. And I'm sitting back my first year, like watching him do it. I'm like, okay, so I know you've had some Jamaican sprinters. You've had some Jamaican hurdlers. You had some people from Haiti. It was like, when can I get my I was like, when, when can we start recruiting for the sprinters? So I was like, we don't have them right now. And the biggest drive that administration told me was like, hey, we need you to help build the women's team. Mm -hmm. Like funny, you, you you hire a guy that was just the men's head coach right. <laughs> to coach a women's, to basically build a women's program. And so Leo and I had sat down and had the conversations with administration, like why are the, why are the men doing so well, but the women aren't? And he, his the big thing came down to, he was trying to recruit a bunch of distance women and that just wasn't panning out. And so they were like, why don't you put recruiting uh, women on Logan? I was like, okay. I'm like, no big deal. Then find one or two internationals and we'll find a bunch of people in the area. And so we're quickly going on to look at who are the top female sprinters in the area. And down in New Haven, Connecticut, it was fun recruiting out of there because I'm like, oh, that's Southern Connecticut's backyard. That's New Haven's backyard. Like, this is fun. I can pull kids out of there up here. Kids right in Springfield, Mass, um, local homegrown people and then up in Lowell and I was like it's weird how we found those three areas because it's more of the less I mean they're very developed areas but less funded areas of the states and so all of a sudden like 
I'm looking at the niche and I'm like, okay, so they, they get better fast with packages. And now I'm finding people that have three O's and higher out of these groups. But AIC wanting people to come to school, we're willing to take people at two O's. So now all of a sudden there's this influx of, hey, I can, I can recruit quite a bit of people. So our women's team within a year or two, we built it up and unfortunately a couple of them bad attitudes and didn't want that to go with the way the future of the program, what the way we wanted the program to go. So we, we had uh, said our goodbyes to a couple of the girls as they came in and had left and went on to do other things where they just stayed within the school and like, Hey coach running's not for me anymore after they got to college. But Leo and I were like, listen, we're going to build a dominant women's team. And he's like, I'm going to let you do it with your, with the budget. He's like, if you need some sprinters, go ahead, get them. He's like, if we can get a couple distance runners, that's great. We'll make sure we have a cross country team at first, but we need something, but build it with the sprints and jumps. I was like, okay. So that my first year is all of a sudden we get to May and we're like, Hey, we still sitting on quite a bit of money because we weren't, hadn't gone internationally yet for the women. I was like, all right, let's see what we can find next. You know, I, I think I was at home or in up in New York or someplace. And he goes, he goes, Hey, check out the name Roxanne Foster. So I type a name and I was like, doesn't come up anywhere. He goes, no, IAAF it. Hmm. So I put it on IAAF. All of a sudden her times come up and she's like a 14, one hurdler. And I was like, I was like, yeah, like let's get her. And he's like, he's like, Oh, what makes you think we can get her? I'm like, she's from Jamaica. I was like, do you have a connection? I like, why did you come up with her? He's like, yep. He's like, he's like, one of my coaching friends has connection to her coach and she's looking for a school. I'm like, all right. I was like, let's get her. So I we're quickly having a conversation with her. Sure enough, she signed. And she came in and it, Rox and I had quite the history of three years together. We went through COVID together, um, found out a lot about people with during COVID of how some are either going to train or some are going to take time off and come up with excuses. Um she, I think, went more of the latter route, unfortunately, but it was always one of those things where she was a competitor and she knew I loved to win and she loved to win. So it was, it was always once we're, when we're away from each other, she's not going to train as hard. When we're back together, it's okay, Rocks, let's let's get ready. Championships are coming. Conference is coming. Now nationals coming. Like, what are we going to do to get there? And she always found a way to get there. She always found a way to PR at the end of the season. So um, it was fun working with her. She's now in Minnesota State with Chris Parno. So, oh, yeah. Bless Parno for having her uh <laughs> yeah hopefully she ends up this year i think this year or next year might be her last year of eligibility so i think uh, next year is so hopefully she can turn her season around a little bit you know logan somebody said i gotta check myself for the way i responded you, you a little a little bit ago you said you know they said hey we're gonna you know we haven't been doing great on the women's side so why don't we you know put logan's focus over there yeah and you, and you said you know kind of funny they hired a you know they told this to a guy who was the head men's coach to do right. that and I kind of was like oh, yeah I have to check myself because if the reverse was true I would not have blinked an eye uh, I think of someone like um uh Gil podcast alum uh, Beth Alfred Sullivan you know she gets a job t- of a men's program I don't go huh, kind of funny they hired a woman who was the <laughs> women's head coach you know I'm like oh of course right. she's a great coach so uh, I just had to check myself there like oh yeah that's not I mean, you're coaching coached, you know, uh, on the track and field side, at the very least, I don't, I don't pretend to know anything about basketball and baseball, softball, et cetera. But I do believe in the power of track coaches, like the leadership and knowledge and uh, uh, experience that they have, that they can coach any sport to be real frank with you. So just had to check myself. I was like, well, why did I have that reaction? That's not true at all uh, for this example or the reverse. So how did it go? Uh, You talked about international recruiting, you know, recruiting is its own 
skill set, right. uh, international recruiting, which I did not do very much uh, at all as a, as a college coach. So I don't have much experience there. Um, is it different? Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I think about when, when we have women coaches on the podcast, I work really hard at not asking a stereotypical question of like, well, what's it like coaching men? What was your experience? Yeah. You know, cause it's again, hundred meters, hundred meter. Uh, and certainly there are some differences on how you coach a male versus a female, even in the same event, but you as a woman doesn't necessarily change how you might coach versus a man might coach it. Is it an unfair question? Again, I don't have experience with international recruiting. Is it an unfair question to say, well, how was it coaching international? Or I'm sorry, recruiting international? Uh, because is that is it the same? It's just different tackling and because it's a, you know, there's visas and things like that. I I don't know. I think that there's more workload um with it. There's more workload, but I personally, as long as you have the connections to the coaches or clubs overseas, I think it's it might be easier because mm-hmm. those coaches are saying, Hey, this person, they already know what budgets are. They like, depending on what country you're looking at, we either know, okay, they, they don't have a budget. They're going to have to figure out a way to completely fund this student athlete. So mm-hmm. if you're going to get one from there, they better be good. Mm-hmm. You're not going to want to put all the, um, all the athletic aid, all the academic aid into one person that doesn't pan out to be able to do either multiple events or get to the highest level. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the cool part i think with international recruiting is most majority of the time the coach is saying hey these are who we have this is what their budgets are and you can either say yes or no mm-hmm. right um versus with on the domestic side it's more so there's other avenues to get the money so it's like, okay they they might not have the complete budget but can we put this scholarship on or can we get this uh diversity grant on or how's their fafsa aid look and it, it creates a little more of a um a little bit more of a web, I guess, of where everything can come from. But there's more schools now that can recruit domestically than they can recruit internationally. So now you're fighting with other schools. So now you have to turn in and say, okay, what's our facilities like compared to theirs? What's our academic programs compared to theirs? Where are we located? And so at AIC, we, we're pretty unique with the international kids. Everybody knows of Boston. Everybody knows about New York City. So you tell them how close we are to both of those. Mm. And it's funny, we had a place called Forest Park near near AIC. And a lot of kids thought when you when we would mention, oh, yeah, our distance runners go to Forest Park to train. They thought we had a number of recent uh, recruits that we were, I was talking with a couple of years ago. I'm like, yeah, coach, every time Forest Park was mentioned, we thought we were talking about Central Park. <laughs> that they wanted to go run in Central Park because it's known <laughs> overseas. Oh, it's, right. it's a beautiful place to run. And they're like, yeah, we want to go run Central Park. They never got to run Central Park. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but they never asked that question. Wait, you mean some park? No, they yeah. Forest Park, but yeah. nobody just names out random parks. And you weren't inferring Central Park. So yeah, right. we were, no, we're, cool. cool. we're, we're just talking about Forest Park. Yeah. Now it's interesting. I heard you say two different things that feel um on opposite ends of the spectrum, but maybe you can help me tie together. You started off, and I hear this a lot with international recruiting, uh, you talked about the relationships. If you have a relationship with a club or a coach, and what's interesting is I hear that a lot, and I'm like, especially like if you use like a country like Jamaica as an example, you know, it's a very small populated country compared to, you know, the whole of U.S., and I swear every coach I talk to that when we talk about international recruiting, we'll say, oh, yeah, well, I've got a relationship with Jamaica. I'm like, well, how many relations, you know, like, oh, I've got my guy. I'm like, well, how many there's only so many guys. Guy. There's only so many guys down there. Like everybody's got a guy, but there's only so many coaches down there. 
So for one, you talked about relationship, which I think that's important because you got to have trust on who, uh, you know, that club or uh, high school coach in Jamaica is going to send their kids to, you know, to, to, it's a big trip to go internationally for school. Uh, So I get that. But then you also said what I think is on the other side of the spectrum, you talked about the, the, the aid package. So the, you know, it's going to be a full ride because they need that and things like that. And, and I've heard of the examples of where someone's like, yeah, I'm, I, I'd love to go to your, your school, but I can't because I need a full ride. So I'm going to go to whatever's deemed as this lesser school, right? Right. So that, that seems two different things, relationships versus just straight up financial situation. How are those two married together in your experience? On the international side? Yeah. It's like I said, it's kind of like a yes or no thing. Like, hey, mm. like, do we have money for that person? Um, and the, like, there was one coach during COVID that I was talking with and he had two four meter hurdlers men that I was recruiting. And it was, one was a 54 second guy and one was a 52 second guy out of high school. And I'm talking with Leo, like, Hey, like we got the opportunity to get two different guys. What money do we have? Shoot. Four and a hurdle guy. I want both, you know, let, let's, let's fair away to train them together. They're from the same high school in jamaica like let's keep them together and he's like unfortunately we can only get one so not not being able to really see the kid not watch him train understanding both of them want to come now you got to make a decision and you ask the coach hey which which one are you taking the the coach is like well one's two seconds faster that's a no-brainer right? right so we we went with the one that was two seconds faster and now I look back at it and the other one ended up going to uh, Lincoln University out in Missouri and he's an All-American. The other one is living in New York somewhere, not doing track. And he came in and he had had transferred out after us for a year and we're like, listen, this isn't going to work out. You're Mm. not running what what you said you could run. I'm not. And I, maybe it was COVID that got him. We we all joke about COVID got got an athlete that he didn't train through it mm-hmm. probably put on a bunch of weight i i saw his times and he had legitimately ran 52 seconds and with us first year working really hard with him i'm like i can barely get you to 58 he just wasn't fit constantly mm-hmm. injured constantly going through things that 19 20 year old kids are going to go through and right. have it as excuses you know so mm-hmm. i was like dang i was like could have went with 54 guys <laughs> right, yeah. now yeah he, see that's why he, you just that's why you just go get all of them Love right that, and that's I mean, never turn like, never hey, turn a kid down okay like, can, can, can we have one less distance runners you don't have nine guys spotted you only need seven for cross country can you right. give me more can you give me the eight from one of those guys right, right. <laughs> now we can have two hurdlers <laughs> what what is your experience what can you help us understand with international with coaching international kids. And what I mean by that is a little bit to what we alluded to earlier about, you know, when we just look at domestically, when a kid comes from high school to college, even if it's like the most um, uh, smallest travel. So let's say there's a kid that went to Springfield high school and then goes to AIC, same town. So there's no um, travel concerns. They know the weather, uh, their friends are still there. So that'd be a very easy transition uh, all the way to, you know, a kid is coming to AIC when you were there from California. It's like, oh man, maybe the weather is extremely different. The culture is different. The accents are different. Um, you know, away from mom and dad, time zones are different. That, that'd be a little harder transition. An even harder transition in my mind would be someone coming from an international country. You know, I've traveled slightly internationally and I know there are times where it's like, oh man, 
I, I don't speak the language natively. I, I can't read a street sign. Um, I can't even call back home because of the international calling rates or whatever, things like that, SIM cards and all that kind of stuff. What do you have to be most cognizant about, about your international athletes as they come to you to help them acclimate, be satisfied and happy with their lives athletically, academically, and socially? I, honestly, I, I think just being there for them because the biggest thing that, or the one memory I have of when our first group of internationals I was there for, we brought in um, we brought in Ezra Mutai, who ended up winning two national titles for us. And we brought in Titus Kipchu. Ezra won 10K outdoors and 10K cross-country race. Um, and they had came the night before. And the next morning, I think it was like a Saturday morning, I'm just driving around campus, not, not paying any attention. All of a sudden, I see two guys just standing in the middle of State Street. State Street's the biggest road going through uh, Springfield and they're standing in the middle of it, just looking back and forth. And it, it divides, State Street divides where our athletic facilities are and our academic buildings are. And the kids either usually take a shuttle across there, they drive across themselves or they'll use the crosswalk. They're not, so these two kids are not staying in the crosswalk. Mind you, this is, this is beginning of August. This isn't middle of school year, you know, where you can see other people moving around. There, there's mm -hmm. no other kids on campus other than a couple of the teams moving in that don't know these two, you know, you know, these two guys are sitting in the middle and I pull up my Jeep and I'm looking at them. I'm like, they don't look like they know what they're doing. They're just lost. And so I pull up my guys and they both look like, yes, sir. I was like, you guys need help? And they're like, yes. And I was like, where are you headed? They're like, we don't know. <laughs> they know because they, they had moved into their dorm late at night. They didn't have any bedding. Oh, and we we had our grad assistant at the time go pick them up from the airport and bring them back um with the whole transportation stuff that we had to go through with the school and um so they know where they're going they know where to find anything and they were if came to find out they had found food they went to the some some grocery store that we had with like a bodega that they had walked in and just asked for food mm. and you're like oh you just get free food they just walked in and said, hey we're hungry and luckily the people were kind enough to give them food. They knew that they had to be athletes and walking around. So yeah, they, they needed something. So they were fed there, but they didn't know what else to do. They didn't know what else to do with the day. Their phones hadn't been switched over yet to being able to work. They didn't know how to hook up to the Wi-Fi. nothing. Yeah. So they're lost. And so me not knowing exactly who they were yet, not recognizing, oh, these are two Kenyans that we picked up, you know, and that we were, that we we're going to be coaching. And I'm like, what's your guys' names? And Ezra's like, I'm Ezra. And I was like, and you, he's like, Titus. I'm like, oh, I was like, you're our two recruits. Nice to meet you. I'm Coach Sharp. And they they didn't even know who I was because I wasn't on any of the right. calls with them. It was all Leo. And so I was like, I coached sprints and hurdles. I was like, I'll be around all the time for cross country. Like, you guys ever need anything? Here's my number. They're like, how does that work? And I was like, what do you mean, how does it work? They're like, our phones don't work. And I'm like, and that's when it dawned on me. They were completely lost. And I was like, all right. I was like, I'll get your phones to work on Wi-Fi. I was like, I, I don't know how to connect right now to get your American numbers working or if we're even going to do that. Like, that's all on Coach Mayo. Like, I'll get a hold of him. We'll start figuring this stuff out. So then it turned into, hey, they, they need betting. They need, mm -hmm. their, they need their IDs for the school. They had nothing. I was like, they looked like two people just not allowed to be around, you know? And, but it, it was the whole first week of every day. All they knew was come to the office, come to the mm -hmm. office at 8 a.m. One of us was going to be there and they would come in. Okay. What's the next thing we can work on? 
And that's, I think the biggest thing I learned about the international kids is once they get to the campus, it's, you have to guide them through each and every step mm. until they stop coming by to ask you for that. But you have to tell them, Hey, you have to come to me every day. Mm -hmm. Otherwise they're just, it should be like you being dropped off in some random country. Oh, a hundred percent. That's where I, I tell you, you know, I said, you know, I went to Springfield cause I went to the MGM there. Yep. You know, I'm, I'm a, uh, I like to play poker a lot. And I was down in Costa Rica and I went to a poker room there and it was one of the more humbling learning experiences I've ever had. You know, I'm sitting at a table with eight other people and they're speaking uh, Spanish because that's the native language down there. You know, there's a TV on. So I think soccer was on, of course, uh, that's stereotypical, but soccer was on um, and it's in Spanish. And I remember, you know, I know nothing in Spanish, <laughs> you know, see, you know, that's all I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> and so I remember like every time I'd go to bed, I'd look at the dealer. I'm like, 25 like i want to make sure i wasn't betting the wrong amounts and you know and, and it's a poker game so these guys are all chatting and laughing and and i'm just like i i know no, like it made me realize like, like am i being taken advantage of right now uh, well i i didn't money. think i didn't think that necessarily no, okay. yeah because it was a legit casino you know so i yeah. felt like that was okay but it was just like you're isolated i can't contribute to that story i can't understand right that's you know when you think about like when i think about my other times when i'm at poker table when you think about your times around your buddies and stuff and there's side conversations going on you know you overhear the conversation like oh they're talking about that game two years ago or oh they're talking about their old girlfriend i remember lisa whatever blah blah nothing i could i could yeah. you know i can understand tones but when they you know when the punchline was given they started laughing i i didn't understand the punchline and I started thinking about when, you know, when I lived in Vegas and was playing poker professionally and we'd have, you know, eight English speaking people there and one person from Asia or from Mexico or wherever that was not a native speaker. And they were always quiet. And it's like, oh, now I get it. Yep. The rest of us were speaking in English, talking about whatever the game, relationships, travels, ha 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 jokes. And they were like, yeah, I don't understand a word. And, and am I doing anything wrong? Am I betting wrong? I'm trying to bet this back. It was real. Like it really taught me a lot. It was, it was, it was the most impactful. And I played it for, I've played it almost 400 different places around the country in now Costa Rica. Uh, it was the one, it was the most impactful poker game I've ever played. Cause it taught me like, Oh, this is what other people are going through. This is what Titus and Ezra were going through. They were in the middle of the street. I can't call coach. I right. don't even, I don't know where to go. Uh, I don't even have betting. I don't have money for food. They have literally <laughs> none of the basics, right? Food, safety, shelter. They don't have any of that. Yep. All they have is each other. Thank goodness. Like I can only, Im <laughs> can't imagine how scary it had to be for well, them. And so that's where I learned, like when we're international recruiting, I noticed we always got two or more people from one region mm. or one country mm -hmm. that, and they may not have known each other, but we would try to plan it. So they arrived at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it became, okay, this is going to be your friend. Mm -hmm. This is your first friend here. But can you imagine? And I think that's important. That probably helped for sure. I could feel, I feel like that would help, but can you imagine the same in reverse? So let's use Costa Rica, Logan, we're shipping you down to Costa Rica and you know, we know you don't know Spanish and read the street sign. So we're going to send someone from Montana to also go down there because they're American. 
and you two meet up and you're like, hey, Joe, well, hi, Logan. Uh, does your phone work? No, mine neither. Uh, do you have any money? No, I don't either. What are we going to do? I don't know, but we can at least like understand. Each- I guess we can understand each other. So that's yeah. cool. But but I also don't know who you are, Joe. Like, I mean, I'm supposed to automatically trust you just because you're also an American. Like there, I, I could see where it could help because at least you have a communication. But they're still yeah. like, I don't know who the heck you are. You know, Titus and Ezra not knowing if they were from the same. Yeah, there's the, the same training. Yeah, group, yeah. But, but but think about the same. Like, uh, yeah, okay, you're also from Kenya, but whatever, you're from 100 miles. Kenya's a big country. You're yeah. from 100 miles over there. I don't know who you are, but we can speak the same country, but we have different accents and dialect. Yeah. You know, it helps, but it's still it's rough. Rough. Like I have a lot, I'm literally kind of, you, you painted a great picture because I'm literally in my head seeing this picture of these two guys standing there like, what have we got going ourselves by. into? Like, they're just standing there. Yeah. And then the stranger pulls up in a Jeep and it's, you know, there's a little bit like, okay, someone's going to help, but there's also a little bit of like, are they coming to help? Right. You know? And then I, so I can't much. imagine the relief when you said, oh, hey, I'm also a track coach. Like, oh, Okay. A little bit more trust now. He's he's one of us. He's track. So okay, that's <laughs> yep. good. He's a coach. Okay, you know that's amazing. That's amazing. Wow. Then on the contrary too, we had uh, when I we brought in two Jamaicans in the middle of January. Oh yeah. See, so they're yeah, going yeah. from eighty degrees <laughs> yeah. to the yeah. uh, second week. There it was negative five, and they it was the funniest thing. Watch them walk in. Like I felt so bad. One walks in with shorts into the airport. I'm like, I'm like, you got pants. Like, no. He's like, "Why well, got pants for?" Right? <laughs> like, are you sure? And I was like, "I was like, we gotta. I'm gonna have to get you to the store really quickly." Yeah. I was like, "Do you do any currency exchange? Like, are you ready?" And he's like, "Oh, I got money, but the, but the money's still not the American money. So you're trying to change over currencies." I'm like, "Oh, this is rough." The first, I swear, the first couple of weeks for them. Once they get through that, it's like. He's now you're looking at shots that they have to get to be. Oh yeah. All the immunizations. And they're like, why am I getting this? I'm like, to be honest with you, I was like, I don't know. The NCAA requires it. We've got to do it. I am a very anti-negative recruiting. But this seems like one where it'd be fair. If uh, they were trying to choose between Springfield, Massachusetts, and uh, uh, I'll say Troy, Alabama, because that's where I'm from. And they were like, yeah, Mr. Jamaican athlete, you know it's going to be negative five when you go up there, right? And like, it'll be 80 down. Like, that feels like a fair, that's not negative (laughs) recruiting. That's just laying out facts. And you may be able, maybe you want to go experience snow because you lived in Jamaica your whole life, but you just need to know, man. Is, yeah, it's cold is cold. There's some things that aren't always mentioned in recruiting. Whenever we let an athlete meet with, or like a prospective student athlete meet with a current student athlete, I always ask, like, do, do you guys talk about the good, bad, and the ugly? Okay, so we're all clear. We don't like. I, I was about that... to say, I'm not sure because I know what you were alluding to when you said you know, think some things aren't said in recruiting. I get that. It, it's one of those. It, it, I think it's one of those little uh, dirty little secrets of coaching. And we're going to talk specifically about track, but I'm not sure that it's not for all sports uh, as well. But when they don't mention something, it's like, well, I'm not lying because I didn't say the opposite. Right. I just didn't tell them that it was going to be negative five. Uh, they're, they're smart kids. They can Google the temperature in Springfield. It's like, mm, I don't think that's cool. Yeah. I, I don't. Uh, and I'm not saying that's what you did there. You know, I'm just saying in, in general of coaching when that, that goes on, I, I just, I don't think that's right for a couple of reasons. One, um, while it may not be lying as the definition of lying, omission of fact is also right. a form of lying, right? But the other part of it is too is, 
you know, a, a coach will also complain about kids transferring out of their program for, for whatever reasons. And it's like, well, were you upfront and completely honest with them from the get go? I mean, like literally, Hey, Mr. Jamaica athlete, just letting you know, it's, it's going to be negative five. Now we have, we have an indoor facility and things like that, but uh, you got to walk through it to go to class. And uh, you know, you might be in a snowball fight from, you know, just kids <laughs> being kids. That's going to suck maybe for you. Have you thought about that and let, right. and, and let them make a decision. Cause if they make a decision, Hey, I, I coach, I love you. I, I think uh, the school would be awesome for me. I just, can't see myself surviving in that weather. Even I know it's just, you told me it's, you know, basically Thanksgiving through March or whatever. I just, I just can't good for you, kid. You made, you made the right decision because you didn't come to my place and then transfer, which is worse in my opinion. Right. I know it hurts as a coach to hear the no, but that's actually your second best answer. Cause then you can move on to the next recruit. Yep. Uh, how many times the recruits don't tell you no, when you're just like, man, look, if it's a no, just tell me so I can move on. <laughs> right. Yes. Is the best answer. Um, so I think being that upfront, completely upfront, we, we we had a kid, we're hiring right now. We, we just, we're hired. In fact, uh, when you're listening to this, our new hire start next week. And I'm super, super excited. One's from D Division Two, actually, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're going to be excited <laughs> about her. She's amazing. Uh, and one, I actually kind of a little hint I alluded to uh, earlier in today's podcast. But um, we were interviewing another young man uh, and he would have been checked all the boxes culturally uh, education, like he, we, I think he would have been really, really good. And he couldn't see himself living in Illinois. Now it's funny. He's from the Jersey area, but now had moved down to Florida for some jobs. And he like he likes Florida. He likes the beaches and stuff. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. Champagne. It's cold again. And college town. I kind of like the big city. And he ended up turning, we offered him and he turned us down. And a couple of us were like, oh, that sucks. And I was like, no, that's awesome. And, and so it was like, what do you, Mike, what do you mean? We need help. We're, we're, we're shorthanded. And it's like, no, no, no. He would have come here and been gone in a year, which is no good for any of us, him or us. I was like, he made the right decision. If he can't see himself living here, I'm so happy for them. Like, I'm so proud that he made the smart decision. It didn't take the more money to come here and stayed where he was. That's awesome for him. It's same with recruits. If they don't come to you, because of whatever, whatever, what you think might be a dumb reason, whether, and you're like, well, dude, I've lived up here my whole life. You can do this. Hey, they made well, the right, they made the right decision. You look at it like Roxanne had came from Jamaica, lived in Springfield, Mass for three years with me. Now she's in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So weather wasn't an issue for her. No, no and, and it's not for everybody, <laughs> yeah. right? Cause I mean, at the end of the right. day, I mean, you know, I'm from Alabama, so I always joke all the time. I hate the winters as well. And I always joke, you know, during, uh, I travel so much in December, January, February, cause I go down to Texas, you know, Texas gets a lot of my attention during those times. Cause the hot weather, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, yes, we can all survive in these types. We're not talking about Antarctica weather and we're right. not talking about Sahara desert on the hot side. You can survive in, uh, Austin, Texas as well. If you're from New Jersey, you, you can do it. Right. Yep. It's not always the weather, but it is the weather for some people, right? It, it right. exactly is. Yeah. All right. So how long were you at AIC and why are you so was, not still at AIC? Where, I was there for three years. Um, there for three years as an assistant. Fourth year was a transition. Uh, they Leo had left going into my fourth year. Um, they decided to name me interim uh, director, which is oh. new role. You're, you're back to the head coach. Yeah, I'm back to the head coach. A, a lot more knowledgeable now than you were yeah. four and years earlier. Still, still to this day, I told Leo, I don't want this. Like, I don't, I don't want to be a head coach. And he's like, Oh, he's like, you'll be fine. He's like, he's like, I prepared you for it. He's like, you know, AIC better than most of the coaches there. I'm like, okay. Like, he's like, just hire good people around you. I'm like, okay. So, I'd kept Rich Hart around me, who has been all over the East Coast recruiting, coaching, and has just 
through experience just knew a lot of stuff and I was like, okay, this is probably the best guy to keep around to help me out, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was him and I for a good portion of it. We had hired, uh, so I had to end up having to coach cross country because we didn't get a distance coach in time. We hired a distance coach literally at the end of cross country. And so my, the last year there, the sprinters took kind of the back burner because I'm like, all right, I can coach sprints. Like we'll figure that out as this, when the season gets here, as long as you guys are going through the fall training, I don't need to be there to necessarily see that we can get some technical work in here and there, but you're going to be getting your fitness and working on being ready to run fast. Right. And I got to focus on coaching distances. That's not my thing, you know? So we, we won the women's and the men's conference in East region title in cross country, cross country. Yeah. Dude, and, you're not a you're not a sprint hurdles coach. You're you're a distance coach. Don't don't say that every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it was we'll see if you actually heard that. If in the maybe he makes me edit that out. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> it was funny because Leo had told me he's like, oh, if you want my training, feel free. I'll, I'll send it to you. And I never once asked for it. And it was because I was like, nope, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this myself. Rich is gonna help me. We're gonna put this together. We're gonna make the team successful. Yeah. And sure enough, it it did. Um. Now, mind you, knowing that that was happening, we brought in two Kenyan female distance runners mm -hmm. that went one, two in the region, but we knew, hey, we got the money. Let's go recruit some pretty good athletes. Mm -hmm. um, we we had uh, Cal Nelson come in, who ended up winning the mile after the DQ and uh, 1500 outdoors that year. But we knew we, we had some talent and we had built up the rest of the team around it. So it worked. We probably we looked at it at our conference meet and the regional meet. We didn't have to run Ezra or Callum and we still would have won it. So it, it was, it was a good year for the men, um, women. It was the first time ever winning the conference and regional title. So that was, okay. Huge. See, we're going to talk a lot about international recruiting now. So what's interesting, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, so you, you, again, you correct me. The reason you just said what you just said, you said, you know, we brought in two Kenyans, we brought in two kids from Kenya mm -hmm. uh, and we won. But if we would, if they would not have run, we still would have won. No one makes that qualify for anything else. No one says, hey, uh, if we had taken our two Floridians off, we still would have won. I believe you said it because there is a stigma that you are, I'm doing air quotes for those who are not watching us on YouTube, that you buy international athletes. Oh, they went, in Ken they went to Kenya and bought their championship. because well, We never it. went there. <laughs> no, no, but, no that, that's what I'm yeah. asking. But, but why is there that stigma? Why is it just because a kid is from international, there is this thought of you went and bought your champion, you went and bought your 100 meter uh, champion, you went and bought your cross country. I, I no think, one says that about anybody. No one, if yeah. AIC went and got a bunch of kids from California, great track state, arguably a top three track state, no one would said, well, yeah, they went and bought it because they want to get a bunch of Californians. Why is there this stigmatism to international recruiting for that? I think, especially in Division Two, there's not a budget to travel all the international kids over to do an mm -hmm. overnight visit do an official visit that mm -hmm. we're kind of saying hey here's the money here's what we have to offer and there it didn't happen at AIC we we got them to all progress and run faster but there's does, does that not occur domestically too we're talking you, you said division two specifically I know there's the, the budgets yeah. are less are there what, what percentage do you think of domestic recruits are you actually either a going to see home visit or see them at a track meet during their high school time or uh, be bringing them on campus for I, so visits? i think like currently i'm at ashland i think every recruit that we're bringing in we're bringing over 50 kids next year we'll get to that but um, okay. Okay. i think of 
all those 50 something recruits that we have, they've all seen campus. Okay. All right. Okay. So all I, right. I think that's a, that's a big difference. So there's a disparity between domestic yeah. and again, we're globally speaking and we're trying, we're speaking for everybody, which is never fair. Right. Uh, that, so there is a difference between domestic people uh, coming to campus or getting a home visit right. versus international, maybe more sight unseen. Uh, yeah. Okay. And okay. That, and I think that there's a whole stigma with there's some distance runners or international kids, specifically distance runners are what we're talking about right now with the cross country, that they run really well in their home country and then come to the U.S. and don't necessarily run faster. Oh, so, no, I do that. Okay. All right. Um, and, and you have to look at the altitude conversion and stuff like that. But I know... Sure like looking at the ones that we brought in yeah they they definitely ran a lot faster so i i guess i have heard that because i was thinking i was like i don't know if i heard that but i have heard that with like sprinters and jumpers because there is uh there was for a while kind of a cultural shift from specifically jamaica and caribbean of athletes like you don't have to go to the u.s to become uh, you know like you saying bolt didn't go you know wasn't running he obviously became you know he's pretty good um so it became it's like you don't have to go to the u.s you can stay here uh, on their domestic soil and still right. become a superstar. So, um, because, you know, again, the, the stereotype was you go to college, well, they're going to run you in five events every rate. You're going to get burnout yeah. out when that's not necessarily true. Uh, globally you, speaking. You think that we had to with the Kenyans is like a lot of them going on to be doctors. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And bringing our medicine ideology back to yeah, yeah, right. Kenya and stuff like that. So yeah. that, that was one of the coolest things when I went, cause came from Southern Connecticut state school, not much international recruiting, if any, to go to mm -hmm. AIC. There mm -hmm. was like one of my signals, I was like, oh, AIC, yeah, it's international recruiting, but it wasn't necessarily just bringing in athletes. It was what made it unique to have them there that there's people looking for a whole new way of life, right. getting out of a third world country, being able right, to right, have, right. That, have the American dream. Yeah, no, I, I'm with that. That's why I asked, yeah. why is there that stigma? Because to me, like, I don't like borders. Like, I don't believe, you know, for my faith, I don't believe God made borders from right. state borders to country borders. He made this right. this world, right? So a person from Kenya is, to me, no different than a person from California. Exactly. I keep picking on California. Uh, from a person from Georgia. You know, it's like you're, you're an 18-year-old kid, and in our world right. of track and field, you run X, Y, and Z in the event. I'd love to have you on the team if it fits our culture. Like some of the European countries in undergrad, they're not allowed to do sports. Right. For, so mm -hmm. they then they come to the U.S. Oh, I want to do grad school. Yeah. So some schools, grad school like AIC was cheaper than it was to undergrad there. Yeah. So now, as a distance runner, they've had more years of running because they were running for a club. Right. Right. But they weren't competing at a high level. So yeah, I just don't get your mileage in. I just don't like things. that stigma because you, you serve two years. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other difference, or same thing to me is like, okay, for for people who want to call out that that stigma of like, well, you went and bought such. I was like, okay, so let's, let's take, and we're just using these two, not even by name, these two cross country runners, distance runners from Kenya, but let's say they're same times and, and makeup and build and academics. But instead of them being from Kenya, they were from Miami, Florida, and that's far from Springfield. Mm -hmm. And it was whatever there was latent recruiting resources. They couldn't come visit. So they also signed sight on scene. No one, I've never heard this. No one would say, oh, they bought their championship. They went out and got some kids from Florida. No, they would be like, oh, they got kids from Florida. But as soon as it becomes international, it's this, it went you know, I can't stand I that. I think we realized that at AIC was that there, were, if we were to go that route with different regions of the country, it would, it would be a little more difficult just because there's more people, more schools. With, yeah, there's a difference in culture domestically. and But there's that knowledge base of, 
you have all these schools in Florida or schools near mm-hmm. Florida, for example, mm-hmm. if we're using mm-hmm. Florida for the example mm-hmm. of everybody trying to recruit those top kids. Mm-hmm. Now yep. you have a limited selection of how many people know about these. Right. That's what I'm talking about the culture. There's there's more knowledge. Uh, there's yep. easier knowledge of, of yep. colleges because you're you're right here. You're you're right, right. in the states in that in that right. case. Yeah. No, it just always fascinates me. And you brought up the, I wasn't saying you were doing it, but the yeah. way you said it, I know it was almost like you were, it was a, it's a natural defense for it. Cause I'm sure you heard it. So it was oh, a I natural defense of like, <laughs> oh, even if we wouldn't have had them, we would have won. It's like, I don't care. Why did you say like, no one would have said that to the floor. You know, that's why it was just like, right. I understood what you're doing. It was like, oh, this natural defense. So that's why when I had the discussion of like, why do we, again, globally, we yep. do this. Why do we say we bought? It's just, that's so not true. And I think that's just a terrible, terrible way to talk about young kids and athletics and athletic scholarships, by the way, as well. When people say that, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. cringe. Think about what you're actually it's saying. A higher level of talent out of, out and, of school to get recruited. And I think what you really, really, really nailed the point of, you know, I know we're coaches, but we are in the education system here and for colleges. And those kids are still coming here and getting great educations. And they're either staying here in the States and helping our economy, our society, our right. med- our medicine, or they're going home and they're helping their society, their economy, their, their hospitals, their health. That's a like bravo! You made the AIC made the world better because these two people got some education. Of, some of them got married, stayed in the U.S., became yeah. gotten into the military. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's love it, love it. All right, we were going to Ashland. So how did you get to Ashland? So, so, Thanks for indulging me on these. I have these conversations where I'm just like, I really want people to like. I really think the conversation we just had there, Logan. I truly, truly think people are listening right now, and they're like, Yeah, wait a minute, why do I say that? Like, I, I think that's what I love about challenging mm-hmm. beliefs uh, as it relates to track and field and society. And I think there's people right now going, wait a minute, I do say that. And I kind of say that off the cuff because I don't know, that's what I was supposed to say, or that's what I was taught to say, or that's what my old coach used to say to me. So that's why I said, it. it's like, and now that, I, you know, and I think the conversation we just had there, I think people have sat back and, and are like, wait a minute, that's true. They are just 18 year old kids, yeah. whether they're from Miami, Minneapolis or Nairobi, why does it matter? Why does it matter? It doesn't. It doesn't. So I, I just really appreciate you being open with that conversation because it's not a, a easy necessarily conversation to have. So you, you did great and I'm super, super thankful. <laughs> now I will allow you to say, why did you go to Ashland? <laughs> yeah. So so I was told at AIC to get the interim tag removed. So I had to have a pretty good year. So mm, that's December right, came around, I'm at the coaching convention. The AD at the time, or she's still AD, calls me up, says, hey, uh, based off of how your cross country season when I think you're more than fit for the job. Like, I was about to say, don't tell me she said no, because right. you, you won. So yeah. She's like, in the coming weeks that you're going to have that removed. She's like, you're asking me for quotes and stuff like that. So I'm like, Oh, it's going to be posted. So are you pumped? Were you excited about this? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm like, Good. in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is where my future is. I'm going to be the director here. I want to be able to build this program my way and still go off the success that Leo had built before me, the success that Leo and I had together. I was like, we're going to continue that. But now we just had a storybook fall with winning both conference and regionals together, men and women, with a sprints coach doing it. Now, what can we do when we bring in more people in the the direction that I could see it, right? And so I'm ecstatic. Get it removed. Um, It'd be and now they're like, okay. We had to hire a distance coach to start coaching distance. Now I'm back with the sprints. I mm-hmm. feel comfortable again, you know. And had, we had Rich Hart there coaching with me with the jumps, and he was also working throws. And 
so it was like, okay, we started to have a little bit of staff. They'd give me a, the opportunity to get another assistant coach and then a, a GA. So I hired a GA on, couldn't, at that time, around January, February, you don't see many, uh, many assistant coaches that you're looking to hire is they've all been hired, right? They, or they have stopped looking because they're like, all right, let's wait till May, June comes around when all, when the domino effect of jobs happens, right? So and I was like, let's hold off on that one. We have women win the indoor conference for the first time indoors, bring people to nationals. We had one of the best finishes ever at indoor nationals, get to outdoors. While going through all that, we had a new vice president of athletics hired and he wanted to kind of change the way things were going. So and not in his mind, it wasn't necessarily changing it for bad. It was changing it for good. He's trying to help the school out and saying, hey, this is my way of making revenue for the school. This is what we're going to do now. And that's where we got limited. No more international recruiting. Um, couldn't go to certain meets. Um, budgets were all going to be cut. And it was in my mind, I'm like, all right, we're, we're taking away. And I was like, in my mind, I'm not a business major, but I know you got to spend money to make some money sometimes. So I'm like, we're taking all this money away. And then we're telling kids, hey, you're no longer going to get this scholarship next year. And I know the NCAA is on this whole thing of no scholarships has to be renewed. It's a year to year basis, which I completely agree with. But now he's telling kids that have had success. They're not doing bad in school. He's telling me you have to figure out how you're going to make up the scholarship deficit with what's what we have. And I'm like, this, this looks messed up. So I'm going to kids that are from Kenya, from Jamaica, that we had made sure they were fully funded because they needed it in order to, to go to school. They needed a full scholarship. They didn't have any money. Right. I'm telling these kids, hey, I have to take $1,000 or $2,000 or 5000 or 10000 from you, even though you have done nothing wrong. And in, in my mind, I'm like, this is bad. Moves. These kids came here for education. They didn't come here just to run even our domestic kids now they're going to be stacked so now we're going to now i'm telling these kids hey you're getting your same scholarship but no it's going to say that you're not getting as much athletic aid even though we told you because of your athletic ability you're getting this athletic aid now you're getting more in academic aid because we don't have the athletic aid and it was just a weird scenario mm. um i being a young guy i was like no i'm going to fight back on this i'm going to fight for my program like this program looks really good right now. We're really talented. We're building from this. Let's let's keep moving forward. Let's not have to take steps back. And and I told the guy multiple times, like, hey, listen, like this this isn't the right way. I don't like this. Um, and we got through outdoor track. Everything's going well. I go to the golf tournament. The next day after the golf tournament, I get an email from our and mind you, I talked with Ernie Clark back in like March about what had gone on at Ashland. And he's out at San Jose saying, hey, Ashland needs your help. He's like, you're one guy. If I were to say they could use a coach, he's like, you're one guy I would call to have you go to Ashland to go coach. You and I have talked about moving on to different jobs, what it what it did for him to go to San Jose. Now he's like, I want you to be able to go there. He's like, if, if you can go there in the spring, go coach to Ashland in the spring. I'm like, Ernie, I can't leave my team. Like I'm a director of a team. There's no way I can go over there. And just being an assistant right now, like it's not happening. Can't can't just step in that role, you know. So we get to the golf tournament right after outdoor nationals, and goes fine. The next day, I get an email from HR: Please report to HR for urgent matter, eight thirty tomorrow morning. Never the email you want to get. I've never gotten an email like that. Right. And I'm like, what just happened? So but I'm. What, what's what's running through your mind? Because there's a thousand scenarios you can paint there. Oh, a kid, something's wrong with a yeah, kid. And I, uh, in my uh, mind, I'm like, what did I do wrong? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What did I do? What would an assistant do? Right. right. There are a billion things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm like, what just happened? 
And so I'm calling up my assistant coach and I was like, Hey, have you heard anything? Like, yeah. What's up? Did, right. Did the athlete say something to you? Did you report something like what's going on? No. He's like, this doesn't sound good though. So I'm calling my sport oversight. He's, he's pouring on. There's like, this don't sound good for you. Right. <laughs> I call my sport oversight and and he was always more of a positive guy. He was like, Oh, maybe just, maybe they're just trying to look at something in the administration that you, you had said a comment or I, and he was just coming up with different scenarios of what it could be. And so I called administration ignored like, straight to voicemail yeah yeah my sport oversight the ad yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i'm calling everybody i'm calling yeah, but, we, but when you think about it you know that's what they had to do that you know right. the whole you know yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i'm calling other coaches like hey you have this no but i've heard of this with this person that didn't go well just good luck let me know what happens right. okay like, nothing setting easy and talk to my parents about it they're like oh they're like they're, and my parents are like what did you do wrong I'm like, I, thanks, I mom. <laughs> like, we just had the story of your career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The season, like, this is probably the best season AIC's ever had. Like, yeah. what? I don't know what happened. And like, none of the kids left really mad. They're like, they're all pretty good. And talking to Leo, he's like, yeah, he's like, I don't know. He's like, he's like, they can't do anything to you. He's like, blah, 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 right? Show up to HR the next morning. Were you more nervous? Because I remember you talking about when you went in for your interview at New Haven, you know, first interview, you're super nervous. When you think about just nerves and nervousness, more nervous going into that interview or more nervous walking into that HR department? More nervous walking into HR because I, in my mind, I'm like, my life's over. Mm. Like, here's what I put all my time and energy into this one position this year. And now all of a sudden, I don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I walk in and there's a cop in there. And I'm like, wait a second. Like, I'm not getting arrested. What, like, what just happened? And so I, and I'm friends with the cop. The cops at all the track meets. So I'm talking like, hey man, what's going on? He's like, uh, he's like, I'm here for a meeting at 8:30 a.m. Like, me too. He's like, I was there early, right? I'm like, this is really awkward. HR walks in, sits down, and then unfortunately, we're terminating your position. You're you know, there's no longer a director of track and field at AIC. Uh, and I was like, I was like, okay. I was like, so I'm gonna be the head coach. Like, that's fine. Just bump me back down to head coach. I'm like, no, because you had hired a head coach underneath you for track your position is gone. You no longer have a position here. They're like, please turn in your keys. And I was like, wait, wait, can I ask why? They're like, they're like, we don't have to have reasons why it's a hire and fire at will. Yeah. Right, right to work or something. Yeah. 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 Fire. Yeah. yeah. At will. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, did I do anything wrong? Like you did nothing wrong. It's just we're removing your position. So of course I'm like, okay. I was like, what, so, what, what was the cop there for? Was that more just like in case you flipped well, out or something? Well, I asked him. And, or I asked the HR, they're like, oh, we just have a police officer here and for all these types of situations in case something happens. Yeah, in case like, you oh. flip out, yeah. I'm like, oh, so you're scared of me. And I was like- You like, said that? Yeah, I was like, you're scared oh, of Logan. me. Like, no, you're not. We're not scared of you. I was like, oh, I was like, so what, what is he here for? And she's like, he's here to escort you off campus. And I was like, okay. I was like, that's fine. I was like, can I go back to my office to grab my stuff? Can I go to the track shed to get all my equipment? Yeah, get your stuff, yeah. Oh no, you're no longer an employee here, so that's considered trespassing. And we'll pack it up for you, dude. Logan, yep, you are guest number two hundred and eight. And I thought, you know, I figured after a hundred, I might have heard every story. Definitely after two hundred, I have heard every story. No one has come on the show and said <laughs> I was escorted off my campus. Well, and if, anymore. And if anybody, and if anybody would have said they would have done that, I'd be like, oh, it's because you did something like really bad. Like you stole from that. Like none of that. Nope. Logan, I know it's a short career, but this, I can't imagine that this is not like the lowest of low lights. Like never imagined of all the bad things you think could have happened in a career. Right. This never even came like, this is absurdity. Yeah. This ain't happening. 
how are you feeling during this? I didn't know what to feel. I was like, right, I'm done. Like uh, now I, and it like was numbness. Like, yeah. It, like I was calling people laughing. I was like, huh, I'm done. And they're like, what? And I was like, yeah, this is what happened. And so did it luckily, feel even real? Like, did it feel like, no. okay, they're going to call me tomorrow and be like, ah, April fools or something. Right. Or I'm going to wake up from this dream. And it's like, oh, what a terrible yeah. dream. Nope. Nope. That's exactly mm. how I was kind of feeling. And so within the next day, like talking with Leo, talking with Rich, it was, okay, what's your next move? And there were, it was okay. I got to apply places. Like, and oh, luckily there weird. is the nugget of that story. You didn't. Oh, I love this. This, this, this. Yeah. Yeah. This, this bears digging in here a little bit. And, and how are, you know, I want to be respectful of your time. We are at our we're time. Good. Are you, you good? Okay. I'm good. We got, we got practice at one I think, or two. So we're good. All right, well, we'll be good there. But what's interesting is, I mean, this is a pretty low part of your career. Not a pretty low. Come on. Let's not sugarcoat this. This is, I I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. can't imagine. And there are, again, there, there's a fork in the road. You have a lot of decisions you can make here. And I think a lot of people would take time to lick their wounds. Woe is me. Uh, I've been wronged all truths, by the way, but instead you called your people in the people, your, your mentors, your advisors, your, your network that you surround yourself, both of y'all together are like, all right, what's our next move? Like no time for feeling sad. What's my next move. That's, that's important. So it was interesting. I met up with, I think it was two or three days later. I met up with Leo and Nick Noheimer, who's at new Haven when I was there coaching, he's still there. And we sat at a Starbucks for probably about four or five hours. They were writing training. And I'm like, well, I don't have any summer training to write. And I just sat there filling out job applications for all different schools all over the country. They're like, where do you want to go? I was like, I don't know, anywhere. And that it was that same morning before I got, Leo was picking me up. He's like, listen, he's like, I don't want you spending gas money. I don't want you doing anything. And I was sitting outside waiting for him to pick me up. And in my phone, I had, had I had already talked to Ernie Clark about it. And he's like, well, he's like, call the new head coach at Ashland, call up AG, see what he's got going on. And so I was randomly like, and I talked with Eric Evans. He was saying the same thing. He's like, he's like, AG's waiting for a phone call from you. And I just didn't know how to approach it saying, oh yeah, I just got let go of a place. How do I go and just talk yeah. to the head coach? Yeah, come hire me, you know? Did, did, before, and, you get, before you get to AG, who I love, by the way, I am a, I've been a huge AG fan mm -hmm. since I met him at Division Two Nationals with Judd Logan. By the way, okay, I was so naive; I didn't know who AG was in regards to like <laughs> thrower. And I'm talking with Judd, who I hired Judd's son here at Gill, my first oh, hire, wow. Nate Logan. Yeah, yep. so I became really good friends with Judd. Again, Judd, another podcast alum here. And if you haven't listened to his episode, get fired up, get ready. Oh, I, uh, we mentioned a couple. I had of to in order to go to the interview. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, we mentioned a couple. I, I can't not mentioned past Gill podcast alums that we've also mentioned Chris Parno podcast yep. alum Ernie mm -hmm. Clark yeah podcast alum go back great again we're on episode 208 so you got 207 to catch up on if this <laughs> is your first episode um so I got to tell the story real quick so I, I go to division two nationals and I'm talking with Judd and there's AG there and and his badge says uh was it athletic trainer or something like that I'm like dude I was like you're a pretty big athletic trainer. And he's, <laughs> and he was like, well, actually I'm a, you know, I kind of helped Judd coach and I'm a thrower. And this is how I got into the, you know, and I was like, Oh, and then I found out who AG was. I was like, Oh, dude, that was so dumb. Like, <laughs> like he's one of America's best. And I'm just like, you're a big old athletic trainer. you know. <laughs> so, so anyway, before we get to AG, cause again, I, then I've now since then I've gone to known and just love AG. We have to bust him for that later on when I get Oh, back. please do say, know. Hey, Mike said you were an athletic trainer when he mentioned, he won't even remember the story. He don't remember. <laughs> anyway, 
But at this point, before we get to AG, any creep into your mind of like, like, like disillusionment, disenchantment of the profession of coaching of like, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Should I just go, go, let me go lean back on my exercise phys education. That was, so when I'm applying for jobs, I'm looking online, I'm like Yale New Haven hospital up cardiac rehab specialist. I'm like, like maybe I'm going to spend a year doing this maybe. And started just looking at things like, because I was like, I'm, I'm, I'd already been told, Hey, make sure you collect the unemployment and get it filled out immediately. They're like, Massachusetts takes forever. The AIC takes forever with it. So make sure you get that done. So that was done day one. And it, it probably took a month for anything to kick in with that. So I went the whole month with nothing. Um, and I think, I think you, I thank you for being honest there. Cause yeah, you know, that was the same thing. I had a big thing on my 10th year of coaching at Mississippi state. And I was like, maybe this isn't for me. I thought I wanted to be a big time. You know, my whole career was to get to the SEC. I was like, I thought this is what I wanted. So let me get completely, that's how I got to Vegas. I was like, let me get completely away and see if it brings me back. And thank God it did. So I appreciate you being honest. Well, about then that, I, one of my other thoughts was like, do I want to go in the private sector? Like, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, and to be honest with you, I said like, I'm, I'm too young and I'm not known well enough yet to get a really good athlete to be able sure. to coach at that high level. So I'm like, Oh, yeah. you can't do that route. Do yeah. I want to have my own club? I'm like, all this is going to cost money. Yeah. All these things are going through your head. What are my options? What are my options? Yeah, and, I love that. I, it was funny because I went back to my, my memory. And I was like, you know what? Will Wright, when, when, he, after he retired, he went on to other schools to coach at after Southern. And I remember seeing him at meetings. And he's like, he, he gave me two, three golden rules to live by. He had passed away a year or so ago. And it, he's like, if you're going to go into coaching, get a real job first. Is number one. I didn't do that. I didn't listen to him on that. Hmm. Second one, if you're going to go into coaching, make sure you have a bucket hat. Because he had a bunch of issues with skin cancer, I think, with his ears. Oh, that's uh, I love that because we don't take care of yeah. ourselves. We don't use sunscreen. We don't use. Yes, I love that. And the third one was with the hurdles with touchdown times. Like, got to know the touchdown times. If the touchdown times aren't right, they're not running well. He's like, you got to make funny. sure the touchdown times are better. That, that really ran the gamut there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those were three things that he would owe every meet. He would bring those three things up to me. And I got thinking, I was like, man, I, I didn't get a real job. I was like, track coaching is not a real job. It's it's fun. It's it's not the nine to five or part-time thing that's going to make you a lot of money. And it, that was the reason why he said that. It was like, you want to be able to make your money first. If you have loans, pay your loans off because as a coach, you're not going to be making the right amount of money. And I was like, okay. And sure enough, he was right at that point. And I was like, uh, this is a rough, rough time period to be in. And now everything's opened back up because of COVID. It's like things are now more expensive to do. It's like it was, it, and so I talked to AG that morning before I got in the car and Leo had asked me, he's like, how'd that go? I'm like, pretty good. He just asked me what my coach philosophy was. He's like, well, what'd you tell him? I was like, depends. And I was like, depends on the athlete. He's like, oh, he's like, so you're vague. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, coaching is very vague. Like there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. I wasn't going to tell him I'm a speed-based guy. I'm a strength-based guy. It's like, I, I have a bunch of different philosophies that I work through and depends on the athlete, depends on what I find in them. And I was like, and that may change as they go through their career and through their seasons. He's like, oh, okay. He's like, well, what do you say? He's like, he said, get back to me. And so I'm that whole morning, all afternoon online, found applications. And I'm looking at schools. I'm like, I do not want to be at this school, but it's a spot. Don't want to be at this school, but it, it'll get me through for a year. It'll get me through six months. Like, that's the way I was looking at it. Like, what can I do? Looking at all the other jobs, like, maybe I can do this for the summer. And, and it was in a lost space of what do I do? You know, but it was people that would call me every morning. Hey, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you see this job? I'm like, all right. Like, it was a, it was a rigorous couple of weeks. And then a week later, AG called me and it was like, Hey, going to get an email. 
I'm like, okay. And he's like, yep, gonna get an email. I want you on campus next week. And he basically hung up. And I was like, okay. I'm like, I don't know what this is about. So I get an email from Elizabeth Hogue, she's our administrator. And it was, the email was, hey, we'd like to get you on campus. We're gonna schedule you a flight. Now, mind you, I've never really been outside the East Coast for coaching. I'm like, whoa, they're flying me out there. This is big time. This is, dude, I'm going to be really nervous. Oh, by the way, we're going to book you a hotel. We're going to get you a rental car. And then it was, the big kicker was put this stuff on your card and we'll reimburse you. Wait. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm supposed to be collecting unemployment right now. And that's not even kicking in. And I, I took the pay cut at AIC. I've been living month to month. Like, whoa, this is a big, this is going to hurt. And I, I'm not one of those guys that's going to go to mom and dad and say, Hey mom and dad, I, I need a thousand dollars to do this like just kind of stay humble and figure it out you know so here i am swiping the credit card <laughs> like and they, they reimburse it really quickly but a week later they'd phone me on campus and it was trevor's last big workout trevor bass's last big workout mm-hmm. uh, another gill podcast alum <laughs> yeah so i'm i'm facebook and instagram messaging him and i'm like hey like what's ashland like i'm talking to channing phillips like hey what's ashland like mm-hmm. like what is there to do up there and they're like, oh, it's it's a nice small community. And I'm like, okay. And so I'm I'm looking around and stuff. I pull up and I was like, Trevor, are you gonna be at the school working out? And he gave me his workout time. And I pulled up right in the middle of the workout. And by the way, I was talking to Eric Evans, like, yeah, I'm coming the day ahead of time. I want to really explore and figure out what I'm looking at before it's so Eric and I had went and had dinner and stuff like that. But um I go out to the track and Trevor's out there working out. And he's like, Man, this is the first time I've ever been over eight hurdles in practice at once. Hmm. I was like, oh, and then I got thinking like Ernie Clark training. I, again, this, this is where we're sitting. And he's like, yeah, he's like, he's like eight hurdles. And he had done a workout. I think it was eight hurdles, five hurdles, four hurdles or three hurdles. I don't exactly remember it, but we had sat there for a long time, talked to a couple of the athletes were out there and a couple of the alumni were still out hanging out. And I was like, okay, like, this is pretty comfortable. And Trevor, I, first thing Trevor did, he's like, I don't have time to give you a tour, but that's the tallest building in Ashland right there, Ashland County. And it was, it was a library. Yeah, and I'm like, that's not a big building. Like, here I am. You got Springfield, you got Boston, you got New York City. I'm like, I'm like, that's the tallest building. Okay, well, I grew up in upstate New York. So next day we go to the interview, and AG tech uh, interview is at eight thirty. Which I'm like, eight thirty interview. That's that's early. Like that means for me to get ready at the hotel, have breakfast, feel good about everything. I'm getting up early, so I, I'm up eight a.m. He texts me, hey. It was literally like, hey, see you at the uh, at the troop center, 8.30 a.m. Can't wait to meet you. I'm like, okay. And I was like, it's the parking lot is the one across the street, correct? He's like, yep. And so I I pull up about five, 10 minutes early. He goes, I'll be here waiting. And I'm like, I just pulled in. He's like, okay, come on in. So I go in. We sit down in his office, which is across from mine right now. And it's about an hour worth with him. He's like, explain yourself. Explain who you are. And it was, I'm like, okay. And then he got coaching class for me. And he's I mentioned the same exact thing on the phone. He's, and it, it was very, he had a few words to say, very quick to the point, but he just wanted to listen. I got done. He's like, okay, he's like, you're going to go on tour. You're going to go meet with AD. And you, afterwards, you're going to have you meet with the athletes on Zoom. I'm like, okay. We'll go through, And we had lunch and we, we go through all that. And on the way out, he's like, yep. He's like, if I hire you, he's like, you want to coach multis? You want to coach a little bit of the jumps? He's like, we need, we're, we're missing some coaches. We're gonna need you to fill some shots. I'm like, yeah, I've worked with some jumpers, worked with some multis. Like, it'll be all right. I, we can manage it until we get more coaches. And he's like, okay. He goes, well, let me know when you're home safe, and give me a call. I'm like, okay. Mm. So I go to the airport. 
I drove around more Ashland just to get my general senses. I go to the airport and I'm calling my parents. And I'm like, the weird thing is I was never asked an interview question. Hmm. And they're like, what? And I was like, no interview question at all. It was why we want you here. Al King, the athletic director, this is why we want you here. The athletes were, oh, what are you going to do for us? It was never a, hey, are you good at this? Are you, are you, mm-hmm. this? what's your, what's your philosophy with this? And, uh, one of the assistant coaches outside, big sussman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it turned into me realizing that I go to the airport and then all of a sudden flight canceled. I'm stuck in Ohio. For the oh night. no. I'm calling AG. I'm like, Hey, I'm stuck in Ohio. You're not going to get the phone that phone call that, Hey, I'm back. All right. Yeah. I'm not safe. I'm not home. <laughs> Don't be waiting for that. And it was like a whole thing. I'm like, Oh, I doesn't want me to leave. So I get home and I call him finally. And he goes, he goes, yeah. He's like, I want to offer you. I'm like, okay. And he's like, he's like, when can you start? I'm like, I got to move everything from Massachusetts to Ohio. So it, it, but it was very quick. I got to realize who he was mm-hmm. because it was very, it, and he joked, he's, he's like, yep, I'm very much like Judd, but I got my own ways too. Mm-hmm. And the very short to the point, got had to get things done. And his day is set up still to the day. Like when he was training every 10 minutes is planned out. If, if you're over that 10 minutes, he's moving on. And it's something that within our program that's adjusting to now. So it's it, the, the biggest question that I was asked when I came here is, are you going to be able to be here? Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, do you like this town? I'm like, I grew up in a town like this. Mm-hmm. And they were concerned because they knew I was from some cities. And they right. were like, we don't want to bring in somebody that halfway through the year is homesick. I'm like, right. I'm like nope, I'm like this is like my hometown. So it's very... Um parallel to how you recruit the questions you ask the right. concerns you have to how you yeah. recruit a, 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 an assistant coach as well it, it, and was, it was awesome too because within a month of AIC saying hey we're we're going this direction it, a month later I was at Ashland wow that's so, amazing it was quick dude <laughs> you know when we started today looking <laughs> Uh, I always think I have a sense of how the story is going to go. I don't do, like, we didn't mention this. uh, I'll tell you about this in the pre-interview, but in the pre-interview, typically I'll tell our guest, Hey, I don't do any pre-research. It allows me just to kind of keep my curiosity cap on and just ask questions. So I don't know where you've been and why and all those kind of things. So, but I have kind of a pre like most, you know, we're going to go this direction. Uh, the directions we took today, my friend, holy cow, <laughs> man. And I love it because that's what, first of all, I love lifting up and honoring what you've done. I mean, the things that you've done, not only positively, professionally, but the things that you've been through negatively, professionally, mm-hmm. those are what makes you who you are today. Uh, and then on the same token for listeners who will listen to this today and two years, five years from now, someone will listen to this podcast and they'll 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 hear a story of like never giving up no uh feeling sorry for yourself something something's going to happen to you bad at some yep. point in your life you're going to lose a loved one you're going to lose a job hopefully you're not called in hr with a cop that's pretty low on the total <laughs> pole here but even hitting a low point like that positivity bounce back can come from that and you're a great example of that as we round out today knowing that this is published on the monday of division two national so uh you and i are both in pueblo at this point when this publishes yep. uh give us a prediction i want to hear 
this is on wax. So yeah, you can't take this back. And I'll let, and I'm going to open it up to whatever prediction you want, meaning whether it's specifically for Ashland or Ashland athlete, or just the meet in general, just what do you think about this week? Uh, I assume this is your first time in Pueblo uh, as not. well. Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah, no, yeah, it's a good, it's a good place. So, uh, oh, that's right. Well, you had nationals there before, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. right. As soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, of course, uh, what, what are you, what are you thinking about for, for this week? What's got you excited uh, heading into Pueblo for division two nationals? It's so I, it was one of my favorite meets back when I was a college athlete in the 400 hurdles area and the four by four there. So um, knowing for Ashland, it's a growing year for us. Like I said, we're going to have 50 plus recruits next year. Um, we lost a number of them last year before I was able to get here. A couple kids decided to transfer out. A couple kids had to leave because family issues. But um, it, we realized that this year is a growing year. So it's more so what we have going in. I think that this group is pretty dominant um, for what we have. Um, and I mean, we're, we're talking about this before our last chance to meet that we have this coming week. We have right. mm -hmm. that we're doing. Um, so I'm also right now trying to, trying to look at what, what could transpire in this, but it, the year that we've had at Ashland has been remarkable. Um, lots of top 10 marks all time, school records, um, four by one and women's 400, which, we're going to this last chance meet. We're still trying to get our 401 in. It's the best that GMAC has ever seen at 4590, yet it's still sitting 16. So it's one of those things where we're going to have one of our best years overall in sprints, throws that people keep carrying. But um, it's still it's exciting to see where Division Two is going. Yeah. Uh, like you look at the times. I, I used to go into the hurdles top three in the nation at 51. That doesn't even make top 10. Hmm. You know, um, four by ones like last year, I had a team that ran about five tenths of a second, half a second slower, and we were only like the third team out. Mm. And now all of a sudden, 4590s on the verge of not even making it. And I keep telling the girls now, we got to run faster. So I'm not, I, maybe at this point, we are in there. I don't know. Mm. Um, we'll see going into that. But our four by four, we ran three, um, in 342 at our conference meet, which Again, not it's not our school record, but it's facility record, stuff like that. And that's in 10th mm. current, which there's teams running 335. So it's it's crazy how fast and developed Division II has gotten. I'm not sure because of COVID if it's going to stay that way. I think if it stays that way for another year, it's it's going to be permanent. But it's exciting. I mean, we got to watch Cordell Tench from Pitt State running second mm -hmm. time all, all time, all conditions. So mm -hmm. it's it's an event for me to watch. I and that's why I've stayed in division two so far. I eventually want to move on to division one, but um, it's been an exciting thing to see that development in division two. So it's a fantastic meet. I've attended the division two indoor and outdoor nationals now for the past couple of years. And uh, it's phenomenal. I, I mean, it's yeah. literally, that's why like I've stopped thinking about this. Like, I don't like that. It's called D one, D two, D three. Cause you know, there's a hierarchy of numbers and it's like, man, it's just a different division, different collection of schools. Uh, but there are coaches there, buddy. And just go look at the results and that right. will tell you all you need to know there. You, you don't go to D2 because you like to like, well, I'll just, you know, I'll be an okay coach. And I'll still get kids nationals. Oh, you still better bring your game because right. uh, to make it in any of these events from 10 K down to the, uh, well, I don't even want to put in the 110 hurdles because it's just stupid this year uh, with Tinch, man. I mean, it's just, I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, the 100 and 200 last year. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's with the crazy. Ones, you used to be able to say like 14, two, is going to be 
right on the cusp right now. Right. Thirties. <laughs> it's amazing. So I'm super excited to to watch watch the the Ashland Eagles and uh, and to see you and uh honestly to see you coaching because you know you could have and no one would have blamed you gotten out of coaching out of the bad experience yeah. that you had uh, i'm so glad you put it in the past and you continue to move forward man so uh logan man thank you for being here today i mean this was absolutely phenomenal great conversation about international recruiting and athletics and then great conversation about uh just professional uh hardships and and how to you know bounce back from them and what's awesome is you're still so young i know it seems like so <laughs> long ago that first head job at new haven that seems like yeah. two lives ago that was yesterday my friend you have so much in front of you i'm super excited to see what the next 10 20 30 years is going to look like for you and the coaching journey that you're going to continue to go on and the young people that you're going to continually positively impact man that is the ultimate nugget of what you do as a right. track coach uh so i can't wait to see the athletes that come from your your coaching that become moms and dads and doctors and uh, business owners uh, coaches and teachers it's gonna be it's it's life-changing what you do and so i'm just excited to to be along and share the journey with uh, with others out there so thank you so much for for being here today my man no thank you all right, man. Good luck this week. And I'll, you know, I'm sure as soon as this is published, I'll go see you at the track. So we'll see you. See you there. All right, Logan, man. Thanks for being here. Thank you for being here listening this week. Uh, it is championship week as we get into closer to division one championships in a couple weeks as well. Uh, then you have USA champs, et cetera, Nike, uh, outdoor high school nationals at Oregon. It's quite an amazing time frame. There is no better time than championship season in track and field. So go out, enjoy it. Go find a track meet near you and then join us. Come back here next week and we'll do it all over again here, all over again here at the Gill Connections podcast. Thanks everybody.